What's up and welcome back to the State of the Ark podcast. My name is Mike and I'm joined today remotely by Kason and Ivan Hello. and Coffee Hi. Potato, a new special guest for this episode. Hello. What's up, guys? Not much. Oh, surviving. Um, you're doing some POTD in the background. <laughs> um, so, Coffee Potato, thank you for coming on. Uh, you are one of the, I would say, premier creators for Tactics Ogre on YouTube. Do you want to introduce yourself a little bit and uh, what you do on your channel? Well, thanks for having me. Um, well, I'm just somebody who likes the game a bunch. Uh, and I started uh, playing it when it first came out. I uh, grew up with uh, with uh, Night of Lotus. And uh, it, essentially from there, it just sort of uh, spiraled into a little bit of an endless uh, well of discovering new uh, new mechanics all the time. So uh, mostly my channel is just covering those and like just figuring out new discoveries uh, wherever they come up and uh, doing challenge runs and such. Nice. So that's about so, that. So you said you grew up with Knights of Lotus. So not like Tactics Ogre or Ogre Battle. Um, so which of, which game in the series is your favorite? Is it Tactics Ogre and why? Um, I would say probably, okay, bit of a couple of different directions on that. Most nostalgic, definitely not a Lotus just because it's the one I grew up with, but the one I've probably been the most obsessed mechanically about was originally the PSP version going into, uh, into Reborn at this point. But also, you guys haven't covered the uh, One Vision mod up to this point. Spent years covering that overhaul and just like the sheer depth of uh, where they took a lot of the mechanics of this game. But that's not officially part of the series. So I would say at this point, probably Reborn's my favorite of the official ones. But wow. But yeah, folks should definitely consider try trying both at some point. Okay. So since you're, you've been kind of mechanics focused and there's been a bunch of different versions of this game, and you're saying Reborn is your favorite mechanically. Um, why is that, and what may what maybe are some of the pros and cons of the other versions? So I would say mostly it's a flow thing. So I'll, oftentimes when you see a lot of like let's say the reviews on Steam or what have you, there was a, a large focus on kind of individual granular aspects of different mechanics here or there. Like you know they, technically speaking, the skill list was lowered from ten to four. However, the interactions for those skills got expanded things that previously were dead content, like, for example, you had a lot of your abilities that were coming from your equipment, were previously something that was way, way, way too niche to actually make much use of. It's like, let's say you had a basic soldier guy, he had a mace, mace had a fireball thing on there, and if you were making, like, let's say a multiplayer team, which technically the PSP version had a multiplayer, it wasn't really a multiplayer, but that's a whole other story. Um, but, like, in that particular situation, if you knew about the mechanic and you were willing to spend hours upon hours grinding to go set it up, you could make it work. Um, in Reborn, it's just a simple case of like, okay, that guy's fire, give him a fire mace, it's got a fireball, fantastic, great, they're chucking fireballs, they're as effective as if they were, you know, normally. Um, effectively, it took a, a lot of deep-cut, deep, uh, deep cut dead mechanics that were there in concept back in PSP and or kind of started back in SNES and just kind of made them flow better so that you still have the time to go appreciate the story and the narrative and things like that. Um, but you weren't spending, you know, hours upon hours in between different chapters to go suddenly decide, you know, I need to go make this weird build work, only to then realize you were then stuck in some weird endless loop of trying to switch between different classes to try and not leave everyone at different levels. It, it, it was a whole long story there. It just flows better, I guess is the simplest way to put that. 
Yeah. Um, it just it's the first time I've seen people actually discovering mechanics like that 100% hit chance thing that you've seen. Um, it's the first time I've seen people making actual use of most of the skills on the list, uh, making use of like previously, uh, not a single person ever would have used Threaten on a Juggernaut or anything like that, um, or used Skirmisher builds or anything like that. And at the same time, it gives you, again, more time to just digest the story and such. So, kind of nice. keeps you in the world more, so to speak. Nice. Um, I was going to ask you one more question regarding uh, Knights of Lotus, because I, I've been kind of deciding like what I wanted to do next. Just, just This is totally a personal anecdote, but I wanted to go back to the original Ogre battle, maybe just on my own time, and play through that. But, um, and, and I've played a little bit of Ogre Battle 64 in the past, and I really liked it, so I'm definitely going to do that one. But you said you, you kind of grew up with Lights of Lotus, you have some nostalgia for it, but what would you say as far as a recommendation for going back to that? Do you think it's really worth putting time into? Personally, yes, and actually until Reborn came out, uh, it was the one that I was typically rep uh, recommending for folks to actually start the series with, uh, just because... Uh, well, when it comes to, like, Tactics Ogre proper, it has a very Mitsuno thing of, like, there's a, a absolute, you know, ton of, uh, of different mechanics, but they're, they're going to let you figure them out on your own. <laughs> yeah. So in, in Night of Lotus, they were very kind of upfront about a lot of things, like, okay, here you go, you know, here's your team, here's how you have everybody function as a team, uh, here's, like, let's say uh, you have the emblem system, which was just a really cool thing that they did there, where, like, instead of having a Terranite, you have a unit that accomplishes the SNES requirement of a unit getting 25 kills, and now suddenly they just have the Terranite effect on all the time. It's just part of their little badge case. Um, the emblem system is really good for conveying a lot of mechanics very clearly. Um, the uh, the tutorials are very well handled. The game is relatively short. Like, comparatively speaking, you could do a couple of sit-downs and get through Night of Lotus. Uh, whereas if you're trying to, you know, get through, uh, through uh, something like Reborn, it's probably going to take you, if you're doing a speedrun, 10 hours. If you're, doing, uh, if you're doing a full playthrough, 30, 40 hours. If you're, you know, sticking into it for a for the long haul, doing Coda and all that, you might be there for 700 hours. Um wow. <laughs> but uh, uh, but when it comes to uh, Tonight of Lotus, it's just a very kind of, I guess, very packaged experience. Uh, yeah. It's it's short. It gets to the point. It has some really solid moments. It's not overly difficult. Um, and in most cases, the mechanics from that one are really good at teaching folks what's important for the rest of the series. Hmm. Nice. Um, Ivan, is there anything you would like to add to that? Uh, I know that there are some people who always would like us to talk more about... Um, mechanics and things like that so i wanted to at least get a little bit of talk in that since this is our final episode anything you would like to add to anything coffee potato has been saying i love the original ogre battle i don't think it's a good fit for the podcast because the storytelling is um it's, it's just not very it's there but it, it's just not very meaty you know what i mean it's like you don't have a lot of cutscenes, you don't have a lot of character development but there is stuff going on there that's you know, when you visit towns and everything. But as far as the gameplay system goes, I think it holds up very well to this day. And I wish they would re-release it with just a few minor quality of life updates, maybe a little uh, mouse uh, integration, and put it out on PC as like a mobile game even. It would, it would be great because it is a really fun game that just works. <laughs> yeah. I highly recommend it. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to play Ogre Battle. Um, I don't know 
exactly how soon, but I kind of want to go back to that one first. Um, but from there, I'll definitely do Ogre Battle 64. I'm also thinking about doing Crimson Shroud, just another Matsuno game not related to this series, but uh, I could see, uh, Coffee, you have something uh, you're looking to say. Go ahead. Oh, I was just saying yes, please, on the Ogre Battle mobile port. It's a it's a perfect fit for that. I mean, hell, OB64 on a phone, I would really recommend that as the optimal way to actually experience that one. Um, it's a bit of a long one. Anyway, that's all I had to say on that one. Also, Crimson Shroud yeah. is great. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really want to do that as just kind of a, a way of sort of completing all of the Matsuno titles since I'm a big fan of his. Um, and Ogre Battle, which I think is the first in Crimson Shroud, which would be, I guess, typically, uh, technically the last, if you're not counting like his contributions to like Final Fantasy XIV or other side projects like that. It's like the, the Alpha and the Omega parts of his career that I need to still look over, so... Um, anyways, thank you, thank you both for being on. I want to do a quick shout out as well to Warren Report, who you brought up there for a minute, Coffee. He actually sent in a video that I want to include here, um, so we'll cut that in. Um, but he doesn't appear on live streams like this in live chats. Um, he's more of a record it ahead of time and release it kind of guy, so... Hello guys, Warren Report here. It's really amazing to talk about something as incredible as Tactics Ogre. First of all, I would like to thank Mike and Kaysen, but also Ivan and the whole team of the channel, who did a magnificent job covering most of the points and details of this game. And of course, to all the fans, who like me, love to talk and listen to other people talking about something that we really like, right? See, my story with Tactics Ogre begins in the early 2000s, where one day in a game store there was a different creature in the window. It was the iconic cover, with the white dragon holding a sword and a shield. And from that day on, my vision about games would change completely. A new world opened up, where graphics supposedly childish hit a mature story. With many twists, drama, and difficult decisions for also difficult and real situations. Could this kind of thing be in a game? A addictive gameplay and a challenge above average for the time also aroused curiosity and the desire to go to the end. Particularly also, my video game did not have memory card at the time. So it was an even bigger challenge since the original version of this game is cruel with its perma-death mechanic and without being able to backtrack moves. Time went by, life went by, and the CD of the White Dragon got lost in a drawer for almost two decades until it was casually refound. That was it. It was finally time to complete it. Destiny must have been saying. And so I did. I became completely addicted to this game again, which ended up making me play the new versions and the other sequels. Guys, there is something really magical about Tactics Ogre. More people need to know that. And it was with this thought that my channel came up. I met many incredible people because of that and found out that I was not alone. Being with the characters during this brilliant narrative by Yasumi Matsuno ends up being something very particular. I talk to several people and each one has their interpretation of each of the events that are shown in the game. 
Just like in real life, there are many more shades of gray than black and white in the characters and situations. But, there is someone here who would like to talk better about it than me. Hello listeners of the Resonant Arc channel. Tactics Ogre, besides its fantastic world of spells and creatures, is a game that talks above all about people. It is an essay on discrimination, power struggle, and the horrors of war. The fight for freedom and search of justice. Isn't that right, sister? It is a complex dance in the depth of the human soul. The pain of loss, loneliness, isolation. Facing the cruel realities that a war environment provides, even if disguised as an innocent tactical RPG. The betrayals of those you considered friends, selfishness and envy. How far would you be willing to go for your ideals? What lines would you be willing to cross to achieve your goals? In the chaotic environment of the conflict, there is no right or wrong, only different views. When all possible options are bad, does it really matter which one is less worse, as long as you are successful? Everyone knows that power is the absolute form of control. It is useless to fight against it. An idea. A motivation. An action. All this is capable of changing the world. How many people are slaves of themselves? How many terrible actions are taken by few individuals and end up affecting a majority? Fighting for what is right must be a priority, since you are not risking only your life, but also your soul. That's why this game continues and will continue to be remembered as a true milestone in the history of video games. Valeria and her characters will be engraved in the mind and heart of every player who gives a chance to this classic. This is art. This is Tactics, Tactics Ogre. Very well then. I want to thank again and recommend to everyone not to be stuck only to this game. There are other great stories and adventures of the Ogre Battle Saga that are as incredible and memorable as this one. There are many new heroes and dilemmas to explore and discover in this fantastic universe. You are all invited to join. May Philaha bless you all and may the stars always guide your paths. A big hug from your favorite astromancer, Warren Moon. I want to include that, but also there's one creator that I kind of want to apologize to um, because I've been watching your content. <laughs> it's uh, Barack, Barack C, I think is the name. Um, uh, and I think he's been in our comments sections uh, here during, during the series. And I would have loved to have you on as well. The thing is, is that it's been really, really crazy in my schedule the last probably two or three weeks with work and just we've got new equipment in the studio and I've been troubleshooting and we even had some trouble just before we hit record here. Um, so I, I'm, I'm really trying to like nail a lot of things and there's a lot of stuff going on in my life. So I just did not have the time 
to officially reach out and make it happen and plan. But I want to point people towards Roxy as well. If you haven't done the Coda DLCs for Tactics Ogre, um, he's got like movie versions of that where you can just go and see the story content from the Coda DLCs. And uh, that's where I watched a couple of them because there was no way I was doing a 100 plus floor dungeon <laughs> in time uh, to be ready to talk about what's in that uh, DLC for this. So thank you uh, for participating in the comment section and for being here. I just wanted to recognize you and, and point people your way as well. Okay. So um, did you have something else you wanted to add to that uh, coffee? Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I thought you were reading the text on it. Uh, uh, we were trying to do a, a project uh, relatively soonish, but yeah, he's a cool guy. Yeah. Okay. Um, nice. Let me take a look here real quick at something. Um, we're going to start at uh, Cresaro because we had just left off basically with Balbatos um, being foiled by, I guess it's technically Vice's plan, where he was going to draw out the main army um, to, what's the name of the field where they fought again? I keep forgetting the name. Sanji Wield? Yes, the Sanji Wield. Sanji. Yeah. Uh, and so Vice fought kind of the main force there. Denim kind of went around, took some other fortresses on his way back to Karitani, and uh, Balbatos ended up stabbing himself rather than being taken captive. So now we're heading to Cresaro. This is where uh, Zabos uh, is basically, well, interrogating, but kind of torturing Vice, right? So Vice has been yeah. captured. And Zabos is trying to get Vice to reveal where Denim is. And he's like, oh, how should I know that? You know, he probably ran off somewhere, the coward, or, you know, these types of things. Kind of covering yeah. up for him. But then a soldier comes in and gives the news to Zabos that Karitani has been taken by Denim. And, of course, Vice is like, ah, oh, it actually worked amazing. You know, so he <laughs> he knew that. Um so there's a little bit of a scene right there. Did anybody have any notes or anything that they wanted to talk about with that scene? I do think it's interesting that in this route, Vice was willing to be the bait. Um, and that essentially yeah. he was willing to endure torture to allow Denim to kind of come in and win the victory at Karitani. Given what we know about some of Vice's motivations and how jealous he's been of Denim, um, and that being like a driving factor as to why he made some decisions he made. Um, it's interesting that he would allow Denim to be like kind of in this position rather than he being the one. Now, at the same time, maybe it was the only way. Um, go ahead, uh, Coffee. I see that you're uh, wanting to... No, I just in. had one small note that one of the routes that you can take on the way back kind of touches upon... Like in Reborn, this is one of the few times you'll see this. Uh, in like in PSP and One Vision, it's something you see kind of in the background. But th actually, this is for Ogre Battle as well. But there's always somebody weaponizing undead stuff in the background. In that case, it's just your standard Necromancer of the Week showing up. Hey, free army! You know, get up off the ground. I got stuff to do. Um, but there's always somebody going and weaponizing that stuff in the background. And oftentimes, it like there's a little bit of a hidden thing with the uh, like the the clerics and sibyls and stuff in the background. Um, 
who seem to be almost containing a sort of Walking Dead type situation going on at all times. Um, that there's just, you know, potentially uh, just undead armies showing up after every one of these random little skirmishes. It mostly gets glossed over. But, for example, in PSP, the random encounters, oftentimes you'll see them change depending on what factions we're actually fighting. So, like, later mm. on when you see, like, Templars and stuff getting lost, they end up showing up in the rain and stuff like that. Um, but uh, either way, it's just a cool little detail. Uh, you only get that through one of the two routes back, though. Yeah. It is really interesting, again, and I think this is something we, we have touched on a little bit in past episodes, but just how, like, Clo close attention to detail like the 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 way that they'll do things like that right it, it's kind of amazing and it's also it works against the game in certain ways because there's only certain recruitments you can get when it's raining or in very very specific conditions like this but i would think i would say that overall um the attention to detail that was put into little things like you're saying uh i, I don't know just really really shows how well thought out the world of tactics ogre was and um i and i think even ivan brought this up in earlier episodes like the birthdays of the characters would be kind of accounted for right where you'd pass that date on a calendar um and and the the wouldn't didn't you say their ages would change yeah. in the description yeah in the yes war report would track people's ages uh, so whatever birthday you set for Denim, he would actually age up as the story went on. If you spent a lot of time walking around the map, Denim could be 25 years old by the time the game finishes. It's, this is a bigger mechanic in Ogre Battle 64, where uh, you got little presents when you got a birthday, and they got better and better the older you got. Mm, wow. <laughs> so you walk around on the map to turn 99 years old until the before you even started the game. And <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. A, uh, everybody had a birthday. Real life, just saying. Yeah. Older, older you get, the worse presents you get. That's that's how real life works. Yep. Dialogue Nobody gives you a killer gold. sword when you're 99 years old. Yeah. <laughs> Dialogue is gold. That's that was wonderful. Yeah. Um. um so there's, a, there's uh, yeah, thing, um, some ways oh, that oh, that sorry. would be abused or whatnot. Go ahead, Ivan. Go ahead and finish your point. The other thing, uh, like little attention to details, is like there is actually uh, a season. Uh, seasonal weather pattern uh, thing that the game tracks. So, like, the, whether or not it's raining on a certain map or whether weather turns on you in the middle of combat, it's actually tracked by the calendar. So there's a rainy season and a, like a monsoon season and a dry season. Um, and that would affect a lot of things. So, yeah, there's all... They, like I said when we first started out, there is a lot of very simulationist aspects to these games. Mm. Um, as for the undead, I had a comment that, like, if you pay attention... The theory of the undead um, in this game is very close to the one that you would see in Vagrant Story. And I think a lot of that was added back in after Vagrant Story was made. They made remakes. They added all that Nybeth stuff and a lot of stuff in the Palace of the Dead. Kind of bring it in line with uh, what they've done in Vagrant Story as well. Wow. Um, okay, so I, I want to pass this question on to the two of you. We'll start with uh, Coffee first and then over to Ivan. Um, as of the episode that just got released today, and I don't know if you've seen that yet, Andrew, um, Ivan Most was present for that, but uh, we had a, a long discussion going, taking another look at Vice, and so I think Kaysen and I have more or less said our part about where we've landed on that character over the course of the series. 
But based on maybe some of that conversation we had there, I'm curious uh, to get your takes on Vice's decision here to allow Denim to kind of be the one to take Karitani and come out as the victor, whereas he would serve as a, a bait in the Sanji wheel then actually be defeated and allow himself to be captured the way that he was. Um, do you have any thoughts on that uh, as far as to the consistency of the character or any of those other things we've been discussing? Um, why don't you go first, Coffee? So, so as far as Vice goes, uh, kind of over the years, I've had a lot of different opinions on the guy, but ultimately kind of just settled on viewing him through a lens of just kind of being a very hormonal teenager. Um, that effectively, through all the other routes, like going through chaos and neutral, whenever he whenever he turns up, obviously he goes and does his big grandiose evil speeches and all that. Um, but realistically, he seems to be going for shock value in those cases. Whereas in law, I was kind of got the sense that it's just the shock of the whole situation just jarred something loose in his head, kind of like you were uh, you were touching on in that episode there. I I got through like eighty percent of it before chaos of the day took over, but yeah, I might have missed some parts. Um, but it definitely seemed like it kind of jarred him loose. Um, and I mean, it, it, creating this, uh, the sense where in every other route, he's been viewed as the bad guy. He's been viewed as just the jerk by everybody around him and just sort of fell into that role. But once he came on the other side, once he started realizing that, you know, hey, for once I decided to go against the grain and for once I'm the good guy, this is a pretty cool feeling actually. And then start realizing he could turn that around. And actually like that you noticed the detail about him sending a goose out. It's like mm. one of those little little details. Because every other time, like he sends a pan in the other routes to go and kidnap her. In that case, he decides to go for the recruitment route instead. And it's kind of interesting that his unique class even comes with all of the stuff that he uses over the course of the law route. It's mm. not a directly fantastic class, but it does have a lot of interesting nods. Um Anyway, so as far as him being a hormonal teenager, he seemed entirely just hell-bent on, you know, getting Kashua to his side that whole time. So in that particular case, with him using himself as bait, uh, it seems like, yeah, he realized he probably would survive, that, you know, if Denim's off busy being king, then, you know, maybe there's a maybe there's a shot there after all. That's That was kind of my whole uh, take on the whole thing. Maybe he sees that as getting him out of the picture, but in a nice way this time, mm. you know? <laughs> Okay, how about you, Ivan? What do you, what do you think about uh, this scene with with uh, Vice? I share your frustrations with Vice in the in the the other routes. I think in the law route, this is like the only timeline where he actually like matures as a person, and a lot of this happens off screen. Um, but the very fact that he even built like this whole um, new Wallister alliance with Aracel while we weren't looking, it, it shows that he went through some character growth while we weren't around. You know, he actually kind of followed Denim's example before Denim, uh, he decided Denim was evil, you know? Right. Oh, I like Vice in the Laura. I think uh, all his behavior made perfect sense, honestly. Yeah. Within, uh, within the, um, the context of the law route, and that's kind of what we talked about last time too. Is if you're looking well, at well, I mean, I do think stories, he's right? consistent in in like him being resentful of uh, Denim and being infatuated with Kachua. It's just he doesn't really grow as a character in Chaos or Neutral. He just kind of he actually devolves as the time goes on. In the Law Route, like he he just grows up. He stops being a baby. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, next scene here is I think where we recruit Ravnus, right? We finally. 
Um, can actually get her on. Her we team. want to talk about uh, Junon and Gatialo or the other girl. Well, uh, Junon, Junon's that in happens this at battle. Oh, when... that's right. That's right. That's before you get to the Bahana Highlands. Yeah. So, um, well, Junon was, uh, he, he was one of the prisoners at, was it Brigantis? Which, which, uh, fortress was it that we took? <laughs> I forget Brigantis. the names. Yeah. Brigantis. Okay. So he was one of the prisoners, one of the Galgastani who were opposed to Balbatos. Um, and uh, there's actually a lot of story you get with him um, when you meet up with... It depends on uh, which of the characters survived one of the earlier battles, which is a little bit what I talked about last time. Um, I think um, Winoa, the, the cleric that you meet at Tynemouth Hill, she always dies. It, she gets uh, the, the alternative character is a female knight. It's, it's, not, it's not the same girl from the earlier fight? No, it's not. Oh. I That's thought that was. Um, anyway, uh, point being, uh, he reveals a lot about his past in some dialogue in that fight, where essentially he is the law denim route <laughs> of the Galgastani army, where he committed an act, a similar atrocious act, uh, maybe gave into some uh, pressure from Zabos or others. Um, and, uh, you know, slaughtered some innocent people and is trying to rectify that. So he's going through kind of a similar uh, redemption arc as Denim is going through in Law Route. Um, so uh, he was imprisoned for speaking out against Bobatos, Bob most likely, um, and was imprisoned at Brigantis. And then when Denim comes and liberates the fortress, uh, Hector's father, who it is revealed later, both Hector and his father kind of had a... It was kind of in their plan that they wanted to be defeated there, right? Um, he sort of uh, introduces Junin to Denim and the group. And then he ends up... You can recruit him there and he ends up coming with you. So now he's... Um, I don't know. He, he, he I don't know if he's officially an advisor, but he kind of steps into that role when it comes to strategy against Galgastani and things like that, because he knows, obviously, uh, these other commanders and things like that very well. Um, does that more or less cover what you were thinking about talking about there, Ivan, or is there something else you wanted to hit on? Yes, uh, I like. Uh, I also like the characterization with Gatiel. He just does not he just does not take any responsibility for what happened. Judon's like, you sent me there knowing those people were not traitors. You were sending me there to kill like normal people. You didn't tell me. It's like, well, you found out and then you still did it anyway. So it's your fault. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, we'll get to some of that dialogue later because it is pretty good stuff. But uh, that gets us up to the Bahana Highlands, right? Where we meet Ravnus again. Um, so let's see here. We had met with her earlier, but you you're not able to recruit her. She was in, she was taken prisoner by some Gogstani, and we kind of walked in on the middle of this, and we had a conversation with her at the end of that. But she wasn't able to like bring herself to join with us at that point. But this is where in the law route, which is the only route you can get Ravnus in, she does actually join up with you at the end. Um, and I think Junin has something to do with that. He has some. Uh, yes. Some dialogue uh, if here you don't the get a dialogue in the in, there, it, if 
he doesn't mention about Hector's dad killing himself or uh, um, about the heir to Galgastan. Uh, there's some dialogue that you have to get with Junon in order for Ravnus to be recruitable. Yeah. Do you have um, something that you I want to say there? My mind right. Oh, I just wanted to say that during that recruitment, there's a really neat narrative moment. Um, I don't know if it was discussed yet. Um, but uh, they, when they, uh, when uh, Yunan's coming up and they're introducing each other and all that, he asks, "Are we your enemy?" And the two answers sound the same, but they have a lot more meaning behind them. And it's either you tell them directly what you want, uh, what they want to hear, and and basically in terms of saying like, "No, you're not the enemy," and he won't believe you, or you tell them how could they be, just kind of offering up a deeper understanding of, you know, this was never the problem to begin with. I just always appreciated that one. Yeah. Or, yeah. or, yeah, or, or he's literally asking, how could they be? Like, give me a way in which they could be my enemy. Like, he's asking for a way. Might be asking for a reason to hate them. Eat a technicality. <laughs> what were we going to say there, Ivan? Just a I thought, saw you just were a thought. trying to say something. Yeah, because if he doesn't believe you, he doesn't even recommend you and join your party. He doesn't even mention him. He's just like, okay, that, that sucks. Yeah. But if you give him the, uh, like, we, we, I never thought of you as an, I, I would you be my enemy just because you're Gagastani? Oh, it's not my problem. They're like, oh, okay. Well, this guy might want to join you then. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, uh, back to this battle here, Ravnus, and there's another warrior that's with her who seems to, yeah, he, he says, I owe you an apology, Ravnus. I thought you couldn't be trusted. Forgive me. So, uh, looks like a Gagastani warrior who maybe had, earlier been a part of this group that had cut, sort of captured her but now is saying like oh you know i i shouldn't have done that you're you're not who i thought you were um but then they end up getting surrounded by uh, another gagastani force um who have been pursuing her denim denim again kind of walks in on this and uh they have some uh, they have a conversation back and forth ravna says already you lead the armies of almorica Denim says, Sir Lanner gave his life to make it so. I, I wanted to get you guys' opinion on this. <laughs> um, Sir Lanner gave his life to make it so. Balmamusa, Sir Lanner, how many more must I send to their death? And then Ravnus says, a brave man, Sir Lanner. I knew him well. He would bear any dishonor for his country. Um, this was the one point in the game where I, uh, I was like speaking out loud to the characters like, what are you talking about? <laughs> because Ravenous was obviously super pissed at Leonar back at Balmamusa, um, was felt betrayed by him, was was uh, insulted by him as far as like her honor goes um, for being like a half blood or whatever it was that he called her there. And I, I, I don't know, maybe I missed a Warren report sort of scene, but I don't think the two of them saw each other since that time. Um, but she's talking about him in, in this way here. And similarly, Denim talking about him as if he gave his life when, in fact, he, Denim killed him. They fought to the death on Ravnus's part. I don't think she's seen him since... Balmamusa, where he called her like a half-blood or whatever the term is that they use in this game um, and dishonored her basically and, and called her a traitor uh, I would assume she would be furious about all of that but then on Denim's part he knows obviously that he didn't give his life 
Denim had to take it. Denim had to kill him in combat in order to stop him from uh, pursuing the path that he wanted to as being the one who would lead uh, the Wallister. So um, this this dialogue from these characters in how they were talking about Lanar came across as strange to me for that reason, but I wanted to get your takes on that. Uh, let's go with uh, coffee first and then over maybe to Ivan. Okay, so my take on the whole thing is just folks seem to understand that he's basically more of a politician than an actual decent soldier throughout most of it. I mostly point this out because you never, okay, outside of one time, you almost never see him actually win a fight directly. And whenever you do fight him directly, he apparently forgot every skill that his class has. But that being <laughs> said, every time you run into him, he's going and he's essentially propagandizing for making the Wallister win somehow. Even when you first uh, uh, go and save Sestina there, Throughout that whole thing, you can kind of get the sense that he's in control of that whole situation of just like, we have nothing against you, but get the hell out kind of a situation where it's like, we can't associate with these people, but they're not directly our enemy kind of thing. Um, whenever he's introducing other factions, he seems to kind of mention all of their strengths ahead of time. I get the sense that he's always just kind of playing the political game in the background. So whenever he's going and dying, folks generally have that understanding, that just like Hector uh, off in the background, which... I remember you guys didn't really like very much, but it, generally um, there's this understanding that if he's dying for a reason, it's probably to to further the Wallister in some way. Everyone understands that he's just fully committed to that cause in some way. So whatever he did was probably for that purpose. Um, so like when, when, for example, he's saying, you know, oh, it's, it's either you or me. Like when you were covering the, the, uh, the law side of things, there was that understanding that, yeah, no matter what way it goes, one of those two has to die, one of them has to lead. Um, and the Chaos Route, it's the same thing. His plan is just for somebody to lead, and for somebody to be accepted, and for his faction to win. Um, like in Ravnus's case, they were enemies, but he was still trying to accomplish that same goal. I think they just appreciate his consistency and loyalty more so than more so than any of the other stuff. And some chaos is happening in the background, so I'm going to mute real quick. Okay. Go ahead, Ivan. Yeah, I thought... Uh... I thought it made sense what they said because, yeah, like, Leonard tried to kill Denim, but he had totally accepted his death and he understood that, like, well, if Denim kills me, that's fine too. I'm perfectly okay with that. Um, and if he, if I win, I prefer that. But, uh, that's okay. You're, you're the one who should kill me. You should take over now. Um, so he was perfectly willing to give his life for the Wallister, and I think they were judging him on that. And I think when Ravnus, uh, like, yeah, she was insulted by him. She also says he would not take he would take on any dishonor for the Wallister cause. He, she's like, yeah, he he was uh he was a jerk. But he would have been a jerk to anyone who got in the way of what he was trying to accomplish. He really was an ends justify the means. He really was a Wallister patriot, and I think that's really what they're appreciating about him. And he was a very shrewd uh, strategist in terms of both politics and war. I mean, Coffee Potato says he forgot all his skills, but I remember that four-on-one fight. He always he always bullies the entire party. If your denim's set up wrong, he'll kill you. So, <laughs> yeah, I, th yeah. I think Lenar uh, earned those compliments. They're just kind of remembering the good parts of him and trying not to uh, just, like, speak ill of the dead, I suppose. Because they were his co-workers, you know, subordinates for a while. Right. Um... Yeah, I, I do think that that fight against Lanar, where it's it's you, and then or by you I mean Denim, and then um, 
the guests, uh, Vice and uh, Ariso, I think. Uh, that, that, that was one of the toughest fights for me in the game. He was really, really freaking strong. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, you go ahead and, and fend off the Golgastani, and then we get this conversation between Ravnus and Denim. It's a great burden he has passed to you, but who am I to fault him for that? Um, Denim says, you're, you're too hard on yourself. She says, am I? Balmamusa was foul business. It was unfair of us to ask one so young to bear so much. We trusted to your strength when we ought to have heeded our own wisdom. Denim says, I might have chosen another path at Balmamusa. I might have died in Sir Leonor's place, but there's no undoing what is done. She says, you press on because you must bearing your shame upon your shield. Um, then we get some dialogue here with uh, Junon. Uh, uh, Sir Briam told me all. Sir Briam is um, Hector's father, I think, right? Anybody want to jump yes, in? Yes, that is correct. That is okay. Um, she's well regarded among those who oppose Balbatos, and Balbatos's men think of her less as a Wallister knight than a rogue within their own camp. Um, I'd sooner have that, because uh, Denim is sort of talking about this with them. I'd rather have her tell the tale than me. Um, Canopus ends up joining and then, or joining into the fight. They eventually rout everybody. And then um, they, they, you know, end up kind of reconvening. We got Denim, Ravnus, uh, Junon. They have a conversation back and forth where they kind of come to the, an agreement here that they have the same goal. Right. And uh, she ends up joining your party. Um, you guys have any any notes or anything you want to bring up regarding Ravnus? Because it, it seems to be the pattern here is that once you recruit a character in the game, they kind of end up taking a back seat as far as the story goes from that point forward. And that, I mean, that's true of Final Fantasy Tactics as well. So we don't really have much more to, to, to talk about with Ravnus after this. It looks like Kaysen wants to break in with something here. Yeah, the um, I like the way that she kind of characterizes uh, Denim's um, maturity up to this point and how different he seems from where he was. Dame Ravnus was uh, pretty disappointed in Denim initially. Um, and then it's I think it's really important to... Not only to have us, I think it's very important to have a character that shows us what has slowly been revealed over the last, you know, 15 battles, right? Um, that Denim is changing and is growing and is um, becoming more responsible and is is recognizing his mistakes and trying to correct them. Um, it's something that's so subtle that a lot of players would kind of miss it and then the ending would come as a shock. But you see characters like Dame Ravnus who kind of are able to and also who is it um oh I can't remember the other uh one of the Liberation Front uh people the um girl who doesn't yeah she doesn't want to join us at first but eventually is like okay I finally see that you're doing the right thing um oh, after a long cool. enough period of time right yeah and so I think it's important to have characters that kind of say it a little bit openly every now and then, right? And Dame Ravnus is that one where it kind of makes you kind of pause and reflect and think, Enem is becoming more mature? Like, hmm, I guess that's true. I guess that's true, you know? Because well, before she said that, I hadn't really thought of it. Um, having played all of the other ones before that, I was just kind of 
going through the game. But when she brings it up, I'm like, you know what? Denim has grown. I like, I'm seeing growth here. Um, you know, I think I thought that was uh, valuable. Yeah. Um, okay. I think we can skip ahead a little bit here because we've covered this in other routes. Um, we've already covered how Kashua gets, you know, recruited by Lancelot. We've already covered, you know, uh, Gnop, Gamp or whatever his name is. Um, I think we can go straight to Bode Fortress here. Um, in this version of the scene, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think that Denim is here for this one. In the other routes, he's been, he'd either been sent there or had, you know, coming there looking for vice or whatever. And so you would encounter Oz and Ozma sort of uh, either with Abuna Prancet and or Saria, right? In this version of it, Denim is not there. So when they capture Saria, um, well, uh, let's just say it's probably not going to go so well for her with, without Denim or anybody here to sort of, uh, you know, intervene. Um, so the scene goes a little bit differently. And uh, let's see. I just want to skip kind of uh, to the yeah, end of this. Uh, go ahead. Still, they still... Uh, the Valeria Liberation Front still rescued Prancet and Oz still recovered him at Bode Fortress. It's just, it was very bad uh, for the Valeria Liberation Front. Because presumably Folkert, Sistina, and Bayon, they all died fighting pirates or whatever. Um, and they just kind of get destroyed. And uh, Saria suffers a horrible, horrible fate that's not uh, mentionable on YouTube. So, yes. darkest timeline for the Valeria Liberation Front in the law route. Yeah. Um, this scene is missable. This is only a Warren Report scene. So Denim is never there. Um, right. And this scene is not actually shown in the progress. You have to actually look for it in the Warren Report. Go ahead, Coffee. Well, I was just going to say, there's a weird note uh, on the other routes to kind of contextualize that one, that uh, on the different versions, uh, Oz actually has different uh, debuffs that he starts her off with at the start of the fight. Um, with uh, basically charm slash mind control going on in the SNES version, and then just basically being bound to the ground in the other ones. But as far as the implications go, that's uh, what's kind of assumed there. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, he basically, Oz just leaves her to be, you know, to, for his knights to do with her what they will. So the implications there are pretty uh, dark, pretty severe stuff. Um, is... I now we recruited Saria on the chaos route. She was not recruitable on the um, on the neutral route. She was. You just got her killed on the neutral route. Oh, that's she right. That's right. You have to actually rescue her <laughs> uh, to recruit her in neutral. But it, but in neutral, if I'm not mistaken, she won't join you if you go back with the... She won't join you in Chapter 3. You have to find her in Chapter 4. Um, she's hiding with some pirates who turn out to be uh, Valeria Liberation Front people. Uh, Wait, so she is recruitable in neutral even though you've joined up with the, with the Duke again? Yeah, yeah. I, I mentioned this when we covered uh, Chapter 4 in neutral. Uh, when you meet up with her, she's like, well... You were working with uh, the Duke, and now you've, like, exceeded him in power. You've become a hero that you were trying to be. It's like, I might as well join you, because you, you've you've clearly, like, shown some integrity as you've progressed through, you know, your your hero's journey, you know? Uh, uh, okay. I had a fresher memory of it when we talked uh, a couple of weeks ago about that. But, um, 
Yeah, she basically says, yeah. like, you've you've actually become the guy you were trying to be last chapter, so I feel okay joining you now. Gotcha. And you get uh, one that's... more character in that case, too. Uh, oh, uh, yeah. Oh. A, a pirate that's also a priest. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so, but is she recruitable here in the law route with this having happened i no she's dead yeah so I, I was pretty dead. sure they actually like kill her right here so she doesn't appear anymore the warren report treats her as dead she doesn't have an age anymore okay if she doesn't have an age yeah, in the warren report that means they're dead <laughs> okay if they used um, to have an age and now they don't they're dead yeah exactly okay so Saria uh, dies here without uh, Denim's uh, intervention. Um, let's see. We come to the gates of Elmorica again. Um, this is where Zabos ran to when he heard that Denim had taken Caritani. So when when he heard that Caritani had fallen, he's like, okay, well, we'll just go take Elmorica Castle then. So now you're marching to take back Elmorica. Um, you fight Gildora uh, first. We've already talked about her plenty in other routes. I think we can skip that one. Um, you got Zabos in the passageway in the battle after that. And Ravnus has some uh, dialogue with him um, if you bring her along. So Zabos says, we may be all that's left of Galgastan's armies, but will not surrender to you. Look well, boy, this is how men of honor meet death. And Ravnus responds, Sir Zabos, lay down your sword. There's no honor in a meaningless death. He says, we gladly give our lives for the sake of the Hierophant's case. A noble act lost on the likes of you, Ravnus. And she says, it is not honor you seek, but glory. You have a sacred duty to your kinsmen. Where is the nobility in abandoning them? And Zabo says, who are you to speak of me of duty? You're nothing but a mongrel, uh, mongrel bitch who betrayed her better half. I liked that line a lot, who betrayed her better half, because we're talking about the Wallister and the Galgastani parts of her, right? Um, so Junon has some good dialogue with Zabos here as well. Uh, Junon says, so quick to find fault because Zabos was sort of mocking Denim for what he had done at Bamamusa. And so Junon responds to this, so quick to find fault, but these are past sins for which we seek to atone. What about yourself, Zabos? You lead your men to their doom. And he says, I might've expected as much from you, Junon. You and Denim are cut from the same cloth. You speak of good pe uh, the good of the people, yet think only for yourselves. Go ahead. Yeah, because there's a, quite a bit of dialogue between Gatiello and him. And uh, Gatiello was like, him and Zybos were basically like the ones who pushed for the blood war like the most heavily. They were the ones who were pushing Balbatos to do all these. Well, I mean, like Balbatos is still responsible. Don't get me wrong. But they were, they were the biggest proponents of like, let's call these, uh, you know, disloyal Galgastanis. Let's get rid of all the Wallister. They were very much ultra nationalists. And I, in particular, I, I, I thought it was really interesting how Gatiao is like avoiding all responsibility, despite also taking responsibility. Like, yeah, we like we built this kingdom, but also like you didn't have to follow my orders. You, you saw who I told you to kill, and you you still did it. You know? Yeah, yeah I remember, I'm remembering that now. I'm remembering that now because he's basically like turning it back around him. So they have like a similar conversation, but Gat Gatialo's um, 
attitude there was more or less to be like, well, nobody made you do that. Like you still did it <laughs> right. So you, like you can't absolve yourself. It's very and, and, Garbo. Yeah. And, and Junon's response is I'm not trying to absolve what I did. I know what I did to take responsibility for what I did, but, um, this is the only way basically I can make any sort of immense work. So uh, I think they're both good. Um, I just think that maybe in the version with her, um, because he's not being like goaded quite so hard by Gatialo, he gets a little bit more into Junon. That is gets a little bit more into like how Galgaston died for him on that night, which yeah, is a line a that I really different. liked. It's a very different relationship with uh, Apollinaire or um, or Daisy, um, yeah. because he hates Gatiello for making him do that. Whereas with her, she was a coworker basically. He hates fighting her. Oh so, yeah, he would yeah. have a very different attitude. Yeah. Um, okay, let's see. Back to Almorica Castle here. Um, let's see. We, we were fighting Zabos. Do you guys have any yeah, notes about Zabos here? Um, I think he's, uh, he's not particularly strong character in this. I think his best dialogue is in the neutral route. Um, because that's where his, uh, which I think you guys mixed up his neutral and chaos dialogue when you, but it doesn't matter. Is uh in the neutral route? He's the one who's like, "You're a hypocrite. Like you were just like me. You you literally are just like me. You, you you're just doing what's right. convenient for you." I really like Zybos in the neutral route. Um, in the other ones, he's uh, chaos gives him a little. He actually humanizes him a little bit because he's so uh, like uh, so warm towards Nybath and the the future of Galgastan. It's the yeah. only time you actually see him like kind of expressing something positive. Uh, you know, that isn't, like, positive in terms of, like, Dagestani nationalism. But, uh, <laughs> um, but in the law route, I don't, you know, he's, uh, you just don't really get that much out of it. You see him torturing Vice, and then you, you beat him right there, and then he, he dies. Whereas in the Chaos mm -hmm. and Neutral routes, he was a bigger player. Yeah, I, I do like... Walking... Oh, sorry. Uh, go ahead. Why don't you Sorry, go ahead first? Just right. Sorry. I was just going to say he's a walking, wonderful pillar of stubbornness. I was just going to say there is a pretty good line between Zabos and Denim here towards the end of this fight in El Morica where Zabos says something like, uh, all of our plans are ruined by you, Wallister Filth. And then Denim says, Wallister Galgastani, that's how men like Balbatos and the Duke wish us to paint us. They play us against each other for their own purposes, but we have had enough. And he says, you quibble over words. In the end, each of us fights for our own reasons. You convince the people that you are their champion. Perhaps you've even convinced yourself, but it is not but a convenient lie. And the Dem says, I don't have to convenience myself of, or convince myself of anything. Um, and then the, the last thing he says, Zabo says as he's dying, um, the people aren't half as smart as you give them credit for, but nor are they fools. Betrayal, retribution, righteousness, words on the wind, enjoy your victory while it lasts. Um, again, I, I think that like at this point to like go too far into that on my part would be sort of belaboring what we've been saying all through the podcast. But as much as like Zabos is a despicable character, I feel like as much as I don't like him, I, I believe he's um 
at least got maybe on, on the more cynical view <laughs> of uh, when you look at like wars and, and why they happen in conflicts, kind of like the whole theme we've been, in, you know, sort of looking the lens we, at which we've been looking at this game's thematic content. Um, th there, there's a part of what he's saying there that is right. Like, uh, in order for anyone to get involved in the way that these people are involved, it requires at some point, probably that you're going to get your hands dirty and you have to do a lot of convincing of yourself that you're doing the right thing for the right reasons and that what you're doing is justified. But the people, you know, where their allegiance falls is not always predictable. And one kind of misstep in that game and all of a sudden your victory isn't going to last. And I think that that was most well embodied in the assassination ending, which is why I like that one the best. Um, yeah, go ahead, Casey. The theme, the theme just all comes home with that particular ending. It's, um, it's unfortunate that that ending is kind of harder to get, I think, specifically. you got to kind of know what you're doing and balance things a certain way. Um, but it really hammers that home, that once you participate, it's kind of what I brought up in the last um, episode as well, once you participate in a cycle of death and assassination and whatnot, um, you bring that, you just open the doors to it then happening to you, and the cycle just continues. That the only way to really, like, win, a, like a, a, I don't know, to, to win in a way that's more than just delaying the inevitable for a little bit, is to really break that cycle, to completely break it. Um, but once again, just being perfect won't do it because the people are going to find a way to take you down either way. Um, you're going to do something that the people are going to get upset at you for. Yeah. Um, but if you're able to break that cycle, that's like, that's the gold right there. But most of the time, people are just playing the game that perpetuates the cycle. Right. Go ahead, Ivan. Yeah, uh, one thing I wanted to point out is that like Lenar, um, Zybos, and even Tartaros are kind of like have the same exact philosophy, even though they are like, aside from Tartaros, who is like a, a, a third party, but they're like bitter enemies, but they believe pretty much in the exact same thing. You know, like the yeah. ends justify the means. The people are kind of stupid. You can't rely on them. You can tell them what to believe yeah. and they'll believe you. Um, you can use them and make sure like figure out what your goal is and accomplish that goal and everything else is like secondary like him and Lenar and Lancelot Tartaros they kind of like reinforce each other's points they everything they say is kind of like the same guy saying it if you think about it sure especially what um Lenar tells Denim when you pick the chaotic route at the end of chapter two where it's like okay oh you, you think people could be good you think uh you think they're not selfish all right well go ahead leave bye Denim but like you're gonna see they're terrible Mm. Um, <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna kill each other over over bread, and you're gonna see it. And when you when you see it, you want to come back. You let me know, which is like where he, where it picks up in the chaos route when you meet him again. Right. So, uh, and that's basically what uh, Pardos tells Hamilton. Yeah. Um. So one thing I was surprised about after Zabos dies here is that they didn't have a scene where Denim goes to uh, Vice like in a dungeon or something like that and rescues him. Uh, he's just kind of with you when you find Mirrodin and, uh, and uh, Gildas. Um, did that surprise anybody else? Was anybody else like, wait a minute, like they, they didn't like give some space here in the story for like Vice and Denon to be reunited and sort of settle on 
who's going to lead us now. Um, I, I was really kind of looking for that, and I, I felt like they didn't, uh, they haven't at any point in the law route really reconciled, like fully reconciled, Vice and Denim. Because last time they were together, Vice said, uh, you know, what you did is unforgivable, but you have a chance to, uh, you know, atone for this. If you participate in this plan, you take Brigantis and Crit and I, and I go be the bait and all that stuff, his plan, right? Now that that plan's accomplished, we don't get a moment where they get to like talk and like kind of like, okay, we're cool now. And I, I'm fine with you leading the Wallister denim. So I was kind of looking for that scene and I didn't really get anything. Um, I see everybody I think is pinged here. So why don't we start with, with coffee? I was just going to say, I'm pretty sure there was a thing in the Warren report at that point uh, saying that everybody joined up. And my understanding was he just sort of like he would be lower ranked at that point as far as organizations go. Uh, he would have had the smaller army, presumably would have, you know, been outranked. You know, we have the main resistance over here, secondary one over here. You know, at that point, everyone's preferring the more heroic one as opposed to you know, Mr. Guy that just went through all of his transformation over here and just came out of a dungeon. Maybe he just wanted some quiet time after uh, having his quiet time with Zabos before. Um, maybe he just wanted some uh, some recuperation time and uh, decided to follow orders for a bit. At least that's my interpretation of it. How about you, Ivan? Um, Vice not not doesn't really surprise me. Uh, it was it's unfortunate how underutilized he is after this. But him joining up, it seems like he if he, he either he either dies or he joins you. You know that's what's gonna happen because his army also got wiped out. You know like his base of support. Although it's irrelevant. What really surprised me when I first played the PSP version was Arasal joining you at this point because yeah in the old oh version, yeah totally. She was chaos exclusive. If you went down the neutral route, she was out. You never... And I understand why they changed that, because of the timeline looping. You, they didn't really want her to leave the party if you're coming in from a route where she joins. and No one else does that. But I was very surprised she came in on the law route, because in the original version of the game, you were basically, like, encouraged to kill her when she starts the battle in Rhyme. She's the, on, she's the only source of the one revive spell you get in that game, and you have to kill her to get it. You would never see her again after Rhyme, even if you didn't kill her. But I was really surprised because I felt like she was a character that would not have joined anyone who had anything to do with Bama Musa. Mm-hmm. Right. You got something, Kason? Yeah. Um, I actually think that's a very interesting point that you bring up, Ivan. You're talking about how Vice's army is wiped out. It's not just the person who assumes control. It's the force that they have behind them, right? Vice is his supporters, his army, all the people underneath him are are not around anymore. Whereas Denim still has a whole a whole army. So in terms of who's going to lead, that actually might be the best indicator of why Denim is the one, because the people are following him. And as much as Vice would maybe prefer it be the other way, um he lost his army and Denim still has his. So a moot point at that, you know, at that point. It's like Denim's the leader. He's got the people. Yeah, something to add to that coffee? Am I seeing that uh, ping correctly? Or do, um, did you say what you wanted to say there? Yeah, I, I, I just had one quick note on uh, Aerosol there. That it could also just be interpreted that from her perspective, it's more of a relationship thing. Uh, when she goes and loses all her loyalty and neutral, sure, it could be a morality thing, but at the same time, she'd be forced to work with her ex. In this case, 
you know, she's uh, the guy's already gone. She's just going back to her home, more or less. Mm, okay. Yeah, I think um, what what you guys are bringing up are, are uh, I think, the correct points. Just from, I don't know, like the sort of the realistic view of what would happen if if Denim has the support of the people being seen as the hero who won these battles or whatnot, and also has the loyalty of an actual army and Vice's army is more or less, you know, destroyed. That all uh, makes sense as to why he would then be picked to, to lead from that point forward. I guess what I was surprised about was that they didn't show an actual scene where the two of them talk about this and where A Vice... Go ahead, Casey. That, that, that's crazy is that um, that's kind of been a, more or less, I guess, a critique throughout the whole game. Uh, the game is very good at showing you when Vice and Denim have contention, right? But it's not so great at showing you that they actually like each other. It's it's actually, it does not provide very many of those scenes. As soon as they reconcile, Vice becomes irrelevant to the character. And we just don't really see or hear much from him. And then same thing with before that. Unless Vice is contradicting Denim or Kachua or something, we don't hear from him. And so we never really get those scenes where they actually seem to kind of maybe like each other. Yeah. Like, I guess what we would have to assume is going on in Vice's head here, because we all know at this point that he has this inferiority complex with Denim. He has always been jealous of him. He, you know, hate, he, he was ashamed of his father, whereas... Denim's father was this respected, you know, Abuna. Um, Denim got most of the credit, or at least uh, in the eyes of the people, was seen as the hero of Goliath, right? Um, and, and Vice was always in his shadow. So we know that he felt this jealousy towards him. So in order for him to be not only, like, not only tolerant or acceptant of the fact that Denim was going to be the one, you know, taking control of the Wallister army here heading into chapter four, but that he's okay with it, right? Like he's actually going to go with him, that he's actually going to fall kind of in line with him would sort of require that he has had some character growth to which he has now made it more important, the, the future of the Wallister and, and of Valeria as a whole than his own personal ambitions. And I feel like it would have been nice to have had a scene there where he talks to Denim about that. You know, I, I did grow up being, I was very jealous of you. In fact, I'm not even sure, you, even though you considered me a friend that I ever considered you that because of A, B, and C, kind of like he said in the other route. However, now that all of this has happened and everything at Balmamusa and all this, my, I, I've had a change of heart or a change of mind and I, I see what's more important and therefore, you know, we can kind of reconcile. I was looking for a scene like that because I was just so surprised where we walk in and Murden's like, oh, Vice is here with you guys. What's up, everybody? Good to see you again. And they, it's just like they kind of skipped over that part. Like, who's going to succeed here? Who's going to lead us? Right. Yeah, you know, the way that I read that was they're still kind of mad at each other. And that's just what I kind of assumed was that, okay, they're cooperating now. And Vice is going to keep helping us do stuff and strategizing. And we're going to be the leader. But it's like more or less superficial. And that Vice isn't like super happy because we never got that scene. I just kind of, that was my assumption. Yeah. 
Um, any more thoughts from, from the other two before we move on from, from this? Go ahead. Um, yeah, it's, uh, that's the impression that I got that, uh, with, with Kaysen said, it's like, they don't have a scene here, but we did, you guys talked about the scene that's optional where he's like, all right, Denim, this is going to be your redemption. If this works out, I guess, I guess you're forgiven. And they don't have that scene, but like, they did agree to it ahead of time that like, if Denim pulls this off, uh, He's good. And uh, I think the, the, the amount of joy that Vice expressed when he's being tortured and he finally he hears, oh, did it, did it. You know, I thought that was, um, that might have been it for him. Like, okay, I can't keep dogging him about it. I, he did what he promised to do. I promised I wouldn't keep dogging him about it after he did it. So let's just leave it at that. I think he does kind of like, you know, doesn't, doesn't really want to get too close now, but. <laughs> Very good. That scene is probably it, where he's just... That's the most excited we see Denim when it's not him being angry, is when he's like, he actually did it, I can't believe he did it, wow. I wish that he was like that with you. Kind of like at the end of, um, what would you call it? The end of Return of the Jedi, when with Lando Calrissian and Han Solo, and, like, I can't believe you actually did it. Was that at the end of that one, or was that Empire Strikes Back? Anyways, either way. Like this happy reunion of people who maybe used to not like each other. Yeah. Uh, that would have been return of the Jedi for sure. Return of the um, Jedi. Yeah. It's like, it actually worked. Holy crap. Uh, coffee, anything you want to add before we move on? Oh no, I was going to say the same thing. That seems hilarious. Like just in the <laughs> middle of getting tortured, like, hell yeah, we finally did it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, uh, that kind of settles that. Um, at, when you go and you talk to Murden, and Gildas here, um, Gildas says, uh, well, they, they talk about Lancelot. Has Lancelot not come back, right? Because um, we're talking about Holy Knight Lancelot here. Gildas says, I've not seen him since the night of the Bakram attack. Um, they held us at a camp outside Rhyme, but he, uh, we managed to escape. What's next for you? An assault on Fidok, I suppose. Um, Denim says, that's the plan. But first, we must do something about the Bakram armies at Rhyme. If our casualties are there are too great, we'll never take Fidok. So they have to take Rhyme first, and then uh, Fidok after that. And Vice is the one who brings up in this path, in this route, that a passage through the mountain range, the Burnham Massive, would be the only way that they could get some kind of you know uh, beat on them or a surprise. Um, so uh, he's the one who suggests that in this route. So you end up going through that path. Um, there's the scene between Branton and Volok, which we've already seen in other routes. Um, but it goes a little differently this time because Vice, we're not in chaos route where Vice shows up and sort of throws a wrench into this. This time Branton listens to Volok. So Volok is suggesting, Hey, don't like do that. That's a really rash move. Don't like get involved yet. And Branton at the end of this reluctantly gives in, says, I spoke without thinking, um, uh, just understand my patience is not without limit. And then, you know, very well, we'll wait. So the, a little bit different at the end, just cause vice doesn't show up. Then we get to rhyme. And this was really interesting. Cause this, uh, let's see, have we, we've recruited Hoberin before this point, right? He's with us in the army. I think. Yes. So. Uh, no, 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 you're not in the Laura. I mean, like he's in your army because you recruited him in the neutral and chaotic routes. I mean, he's a, he's this, unavoidable this, it, in the this is where you recruit him in the, in the Laura, Laura, right? Okay. This is his first appearance. Yeah. 
I really liked this because this is sort of this sort of starts the recruitment uh, quest for Ozma too, because Ozma is really surprised to see him here. Um, like, how is this possible? How you were? How are you even alive? And Hoburn tries to play it off like, no, you got the wrong person. Um, and so she's like, no, I don't. Uh, and anyway, you, you end up having a battle here, but Ozma leaves this fight with in, in basically total shock that Hoburim is alive. Um, I can see that uh, Coffee Potato is wanting to chime in here. Go ahead. Sorry, I was trying to chime in a couple notes ago. Uh, that, okay. uh, that path through the mountains, little detail, but I thought it was kind of an interesting one uh, that uh, when it comes to the path through the mountains, only neutral route actually has a bunch of hostile dragons there. The other two routes uh, is actually a safer route where you don't even have to fight most of the stuff on there. Like you get oh, wow. rid of the lizards and skeletons and you just walk on through. Um, weird little detail, but basically both Vice and um, uh, Vice and Denim figure out the better route. Uh, when uh, when the, uh, the actual Wallister sent him through, they sent him through a more dangerous path for some reason. That's <laughs> anyway, crazy. sorry. <laughs> Go ahead, Ivan. Um, yeah, it's uh, this route. The dialogue at the beginning of uh, chapter three, when they would like Balthafon and choose out Barbus and they introduce Oz and Ozma. There's actually a slight difference in the dialogue because it like the relationship between Balthafon and Ozma only exists really in this route. And they're actually like betrothed. They're like set to be married. Right. Um, which hasn't been mentioned, but it's going to be relevant in, in terms of why Ozma, the Dark Knight, would actually want to join um, Denim. Because, right. by the way, this is an addition from the, in, starting from the PSP remake. In, in the original version of the game, you killed Ozma right here. Um, oh, good. wow. Oh, wow. So the, in this fight, basically Ozma's story would have come to an end. They added the fact that she had been uh, betrothed at first to Hoberim, but then when she thought Hoberim was dead, now she's engaged to Balsafon himself. Yes. That's crazy. Okay. Um, yeah. So basically that's kind of the whole plot that gets started here. Um, and you learn a little bit more about like Balsafon, there's a whole scene later on where Hobrim basically reveals what happened. Um, so anyways, at the end of this battle, Ozma leaves, she goes back and you get a scene with, between her and Balsafon where it is shown that, uh, the two of them are supposed to be getting married. Now she sort of challenges him like, Hey, Hobrim's still alive. Like, did you know that? And he tries to play it off. Like, Oh, I didn't know. Like, I, I swear, like I was, well, I thought it was telling the truth that he was dead and whatnot. Right. Um, uh, but then, uh, later on in the battle, cause I, it's kind of hard. You, you kind of need to know the steps for recruiting her as well in chapter four, which is later, but, um, there's a certain battle that you fight and then you have to go into the Warren report and read an entry there before you go into the next battle. Um, in order to be able to recruit her in that next battle. Um, so there's kind of just like a little, you know, wrench thrown in there that you need to know if you actually want this to go the right way. But in an, you, you go into a battle there. I think Volok is in that battle. Are there any other Dark Knights or is it, is it Volok and Ozma in the, in the battle? In, um, in the original version of the game, you never fought... Alzaphon and you never fought Volak. They were just like story only characters and they had like, they actually did have uh, like in, in the game mechanics, they actually had stuff 
they were kind of glitched and they didn't work. So they weren't in the game. So the fight with Volok is, is like the only time you ever face him in battle. And Balzathon was added as like Oz's tag team companion in the final yeah. fight here. Um, yeah, at, at Fidoc, at Fidoc, right? So instead of fighting yeah, yeah. Ozma at Fidoc, but I'm talking about in the recruitment battle for Ozma in Chapter Four. Oh yeah, it's it's, it's just Volok. They have a there's another scene before that, yeah, where they discuss um, like we're, it's a unique scene to the Law Rat where all the Dark Knights are gathered together in Bernicia and discussing uh, their situation with Ozma. That's where she decides like, okay, I'm out. But yeah, Volok yeah. is the only one that fights in that battle. Yeah, okay, uh, and so you have and so to, then. Have to get to escape first, and then she'll join only then. Right. Yeah. So then, if you if you if she survives that battle and and you you know fend off Volok and and the rest of the uh, enemies in that battle, then you have a conversation privately with Hoberim and Ozma and Denim, where Hoberim explains what happened. Like Balsafon was essentially trying to get his father, who was I think a member of the Senate in uh, in Lotus and Las Lorien, I think. Um, Basically, to I guess uh, uh, the easiest way I to put the go ahead. Uh, so, or um, Volrog, I think that was his name. Uh, Vorgas, Vorgas, uh, was a senator in Lotus. This was before um, the high priest came to power. He was seeing that Tardos's uh, Loslorian and uh, Valian's action was gaining power, so he sent both Hobrim and Balzaphon to join Tartaros in the Loslorian order as basically like double agents. They would be working for the Senate and report, uh, but they would be pretend to be loyal to the Dark Knights. But during their, uh, you know, while they were working with the Lothlorien, Balzaphon was recruited by Tartarus. He became a true believer in his cause. And he was like, okay, yeah, no, let's do this coup. Let's, let's take over Lotus. Let's, let's get rid of that Senate. They're useless. So uh, he tries to go to his father and Hobram, like, okay, guys, you coming along? And Hobram's like, no, that's not, that's not what we want to do. And Vorkis is like, never. Absolutely not. All right, give me a second. Um, and uh, so Balzaphon has Vorgas killed. He has Hobram blinded. He has their mother killed as well. And then he blames Hobram for the death of both the father and the mother. And so Hobram is not only, like, maimed for life, He's also like a fugitive from Lotus and oh, he steals his girl too. <laughs> yeah. So Balthafon right, right. is, is, um, a coffee potato pointed out is he's, he's kind of, um, revolver ocelot, you know, he's got chronic backstabbing disorder. Um, <laughs> and he also looks like him too. I think they're both based on the same character. Right. Or same um, torture. Yeah. They both yeah. love torture. Mm -hmm. But we'll yeah, talk about so that. Yeah, so so that is basically where this sort of subplot between Ozma, Hobrim, Balzaphon begins. Um, she goes back and challenges him, and, and that's kind of how that wraps up. And then at the end of that, uh, basically, Denim, uh, you, ha you have a couple dialogue choices in order to recruit her, where Denim has to basically say, like, because she still blames Denim for killing Oz, right? She still oh. feels like she needs revenge for that. And you it's have like, to, yeah, you killed my brother and he's like, yeah, but you killed my dad. So exactly. <laughs> uh, but at, at any rate, he's, he's done sort of with that pursuit of vengeance at this point, he's given up on that and seeing him be that way, she sort of softens up on it. And, uh, and she's furious of course with Balsafon and the other, 
nights for having lied to her about all this because she had loved Hobrim. Um, so she decides to join with us from that point. So that's where, uh, that whole plot goes with Ozma here. Um, so let's see after this battle between everybody, we go to Fidoc, which is at the end of chapter three. Um, this more or less goes the same way as in the other routes, except rather than fighting Ozma here, because Ozma confronts Balsafon with what she learned about Hobrim, Balsafon sends her away with um, Kashua and uh, and um, Lancelot. And Balsafon ends up fighting you with Oz in this battle. And uh, Oz, you end up killing, Balsafon ends up running away, if I'm not mistaken. Or do you do you kill Balsafon here? I can't. There's there's so many different Balthifon, ways this goes. I forget. Balsafon, Balsafon, Volok, and uh, Tartaros always escape Valeria at the end. Okay, yeah, because because they uh, they're the ones who are captured right at the end there by Barbus, right? Um, so oh, he I runs away. To point out that the um, the story of like Holbrim and Balsafon. It it shows that like. Taros is actually kind of like runs Lotus. Uh, like he was responsible for putting the high priest on the throne. Right. Um, they, so they had he, a whole revolution. he destroyed, he's the one who destroyed the Senate was Lancelot. Yeah. The, the, yeah. the, the Florian order that they're part of, they were instrumental to turning Lotus into what it is today. Yeah. Um, anyways, but you do end up killing Oz here. So, um, we can kind of skip through all that because we've been through that. That basically takes us to the end of chapter three. So now we've covered uh, chapter three there. Um, there. The only things that I wanted to talk about that are maybe different in this path for chapter four, one, Vice is with you, but like we've been saying, um, he doesn't really participate in the narrative much, which is kind of a thing for recruitable characters in the game. Once you recruit them, they kind of just take a back seat. Um, he does have um, a little bit of battle dialogue. He, you find out that Barbus was the one who killed his dad, and uh, yes. he, he can talk to Kachua, but that's um, that's about it for his contribution. Yeah, because that's in Code of Four, I believe, right, where you see that happen. No, um, no, actually, it's it's in the dialogue at Barnisha Castle if you bring Vice with you. Oh, so that's gotcha. the guy who killed my dad. Gotcha. Okay. Um, it's got a ton of dialogue too, like with everybody in the team. It's kind of kind of nuts uh, by comparison. Uh, what are some examples of that? Like pretty much every one of the Zenobians has lines there. You got Vice having lines there. I want to say Holbrim might have lines there too. Um, uh, Holbrim does not. Canopus, Gilded, Mirden, Vice, Ozma, they all have conversations with Barbus. Ozma, that's and, what I'm thinking of, yeah. It's, uh, this is another example of the old translation being really funny because they're just like swear. Everybody's cursing each other out this entire fight. It's really funny. <laughs> The things that come out of Murden's mouth in the original version, it's like, whoa, I didn't know what this is the this guy. <laughs> <laughs> mild mattered usually. Yeah. Um, does anybody want to kind of go over uh what we see with Vice in the ending? Um since he survives this time. I think he's angling to marry Kacha. You know, he's he's kind of this time Denim's out of the picture. And uh, he's her right, you know, he's an advisor to her. Uh, he can make it work if, if there's no like political marriages that come around. 
<laughs> yeah, this, this sort of brought to mind what Kason has been talking about through the podcast, um, where he was sort of vice, maybe some of the jealousy towards Denim was related to her like obsession with, with Denim and his vice's inability to sort of like, you know, make a move there. <laughs> like she, she won't do anything other than whatever Denim says. But at the end of this route where she becomes the queen, Denim wants to get out of the way as, so as to not uh, co uh, complicate the political situation there. Whereas some people might've favored him or whatnot. So he just wants to kind of get out of her way. Um, she seems surprisingly okay with this, um, <laughs> given how much she had like been hell bent on her, him never leaving her. But vice sees that I, I, I kind of got that sense too, as an opportunity for him to kind of finally denims out of the way and I, I can make a move here. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, do you guys yeah. want to uh, just move on? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to just point out one note that he, he technically, are, are we uh, covering Coda yet? We're, we're about to get into oh, it. Right. That's what I wanted to like. Oh, dang it. I was uh, going to say he technically makes a move. <laughs> yeah. He kind of does. Yeah. We haven't gotten to Cody yet, but let's um, cover the part where like Katra joins you and like talk about her when finally we got, we got her on our team. Like, yeah. Uh, everybody's got the Prince Ascending now, right? Yes. Uh, why don't you go ahead and, and spearhead that? I, I meant uh, Ivan. Ivan, go ahead and spearhead that. Okay. Yeah, no, it's it's just as soon as she shows up, as soon as you rescue her, suddenly she is back to being the voice of reason, hyper-competent. <laughs> everybody kind of like, wow, she's actually really good at this. Um, yeah, totally. Very reasonable all of a sudden, like even with Denim. Uh, except for the thing, like, Denim's like, please, like, you know, you are the princess. We probably shouldn't have you on the battlefield. Kind of stupid. You might die. <laughs> She's like, no, nah, I'll be fine. But the thing is, like, she can die. If you get her killed, it's a whole other scenario that'll get you back the assassination ending if you want, you know? Um, ah, very good. Like, that, she, that could turn out to be a stupid move. If she dies right after, um, then Denim has to deal with a whole mutiny uh, of, of Fusiliers. Um. Which was, which is why this is called the shotgun quest because back mm. in the old version of the game there were only three pistol or three guns. You got the rimfire from Barbus, you got the rifle from Gant if you recruited him, and then that's like that was the only two. But if you got caught, you killed before you got the Heim, came back to Fidoc and like dealt with that whole situation. You had to fight a mutiny against a bunch of guys with guns, and that's how you earned a shotgun. It wasn't even the best gun in the game. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Wow. So it was a total, it, it just goofy. Uh, what did you guys have to uh, about Kachua and her leadership ability? Well, I, I had something here. Um, and it's mostly about the Kachua's little speech that she gives when she's uh, the, uh, the queen, I guess. She's the queen, right? She's the queen now. Um, well, she gets crowned at the very end. But yeah. Okay, right. So it's before the coronation, but she's the leader of Almorica. You're right. So she's not the queen of Valeria yet, but although they know she will be, um, she is merely just the leader. Everybody, she's the leader of Almorica. Is that it? Yeah, of the Wallace. Is there a, oh. a queen elect? <laughs> queen elect. <laughs> That's very funny. So she is the queen, like, hey, but she hasn't yet been enough. coronated. Um, um, in her little speech here, she says, "The past must be forgotten." And 
I kind of just wanted to know what you guys think about that sentence right there. Um, I never, until recently, I never would have identified or thought that forgetting the past is a good idea. Um, however, in recent years, I have kind of changed my mind on that a little bit. <laughs> I actually think it might be a pretty good idea to forget the past. I, I, yeah, I um, yeah, go ahead, Ivan. Yeah, well, because if we get hung up on the past, we end up relitigating the past over and over again. I mean, just look at how people talk about the Civil War now. I mean, when people I fought the Civil War, they made peace and they got over it. And then for 50, 100 years afterwards, it wasn't an issue. Yeah. But now we're great, like, great, 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 great Let's take a look at it again. Let's see. Oh, those guys were traitors. Robert Lee, like, I mean, not, not, I'm not expressing any opinion either way. I'm just saying, why are we talking about this now? This is, I know this whole thing was fixed. Was They're not fixed. <laughs> so what I think is interesting is that there's also the inverse point, which is the general quote attributed to a billion people, I guess, that those those who do not know their history or history are doomed to repeat it. Um, but I think that the history is going to repeat. If you don't know it, the history will repeat and it'll surprise you. If you do know it, people, it's almost serves as a game plan. You know, the full version like, of that. Evil people can be like, ah, this is how we do. And history ends up repeating anyways, whether you know it or not. And that's kind of what I've slowly kind of realized is that like these things continue to happen over and over. And it actually doesn't make a difference that your historians like know that it's happened in the past. It, uh, you can even see right now, some things are starting to swell and it's like, it doesn't matter. We all know the history. Like we're like societies nowadays, um, in terms of the high societies, are like ninety-five percent literate, and you know most of them are educated, and we totally know the history. Doesn't matter. It's gonna happen anyways. It's like there's some other forces at well, work it's, it's or something no that are wanting things to happen, and the past almost serves as a playbook. Be like, ah, so this is how you do it. Okay, well, Caesar did it wrong, but Napoleon, oh, but Napoleon screwed up here. So Hitler, oh, but Hitler did it wrong. Okay, so this is what we're going to do this time. And it's like, okay, forgetting that any of that ever happened might actually be just as good as remembering it so that evil people can use it as a playbook. It's um, those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. And those who do know history are doomed to sit there and watch them repeat it. There you go. Exactly. So it just doesn't make a difference. So it's probably better to just forget it then. <laughs> just replace the line with be excellent to each other. <laughs> be excellent and party on, dudes. And party on, dudes. That's the key. Okay, so anyways, there Kachua does explain a little bit later on, but this is more towards the very end of the game. He says, remember, but do not cling to the hatred. It's a little different from what she was saying here at this point. Um, but you know, still pretty good stuff, like, I guess, remember. But just remembering can then be used by politicians in certain ways. Remembrance is a way to get people to start hating and stuff. And so she's saying, if there's a way to remember, but, like, not relitigate the past and start hating your neighbors, um, do that. <laughs> but it's not as easy as it sounds, in my opinion. So I just wanted to get your all thought on that one. Mm, nice. Um, okay, anything else? Uh, I know... Ivan had sent me over a video where I think it's Sherry, right? Um, where they find her again, the older sister of, um, yeah, I thought Saria the Sherry families. scene, uh, made a very good foil for our, or, um, it reinforced the cat where the, the version of the scene where you rescue Kachua because it basically happened is that Olivia and Sherry have the same experience as Denim was about to have with Kachua when he rescues her in Bernicia. He, he talks her down, explains her like, no, we love you. You're not a burden. You can join us. Everything's okay. Olivia has that scene with Sherry 
And then this happens right before you go to Barnisha. Denim goes and rescues um, Kachua and has to go through the same experience. So I always think that like recruiting Sherry is always nice for the uh, princess ending because it, it, it kind of gives like it, narratively, it's just uh, makes that scene stronger. Yeah. I, I did like um, the dialogue in particular in that scene. Um, and you're right. I think it does mirror a little bit uh, Denim and, and Kashua's own sort of uh, uh, reuniting, uh, you know, the kind of the work they have to do to forgive each other and get back on the same page again. And, um, is there more detail about why Sherry decided to join with Branton yes. in like the Warren report? Could you go over that a little bit? It's uh not, it's in the battle conversations. If, if you, this, you'd have to do this in the chaos route because you'd have all the sisters in time to fight Sherry because you recruit Saria much earlier. You have Saria, Sestina. It's, um, so she is bitter at her father, Maruva, because she blames him for her mother's death. And like her sisters try to tell her, but like she died because Branton was getting rid of his political rival. Branton literally killed her. And she's like, no, but father lost. He lost the political conflict, and I'd rather be on the winning side. And if he's, he lost my mother, he won't be able to win this. I'd rather just be on the side that wins. And that's why she ended up with Brandon. And then when okay. she's defeated and Brandon just, like, doesn't care about her at all, nobody cares about her, she feels like. And that's when Olivia and Denim run into her. Also, that scene sets up um, the romance between Denim and Olivia that the ending kind of hits at. It's another reason I... I say you should get it if you're getting the princess ending. Right. Uh, Coffee, I can see you got something you want to add there. I was actually going to uh, put most of uh, what Ivan just covered there. Actually, funny thing on that uh, last scene that was just mentioned, uh, even uh, uh, Mitsuno itself, uh, himself was uh, mentioning on uh, Twitter that it, it, kind of what they were implied to be doing in a boat after the fact. So that's kind of presumed <laughs> to be canon to some degree. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, wanted wanted to bring up that scene. Um, other than that, I don't think I have any I other have notes about chapter four. You got one more, Ivan? Oh, the Junon story. Um, you actually can go and meet. You can go to Vosk, the city that he massacred, and you can encounter a survivor who is very, very mad about the whole thing. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. sure she's kind of like Junon's Aracel, if you will, because mm. he, he, he killed her family. And it, this is one of the most annoying recruitment conversation triggers ever because the boss is so weak and the conversation is so long. It's so easy to end the battle long before Junon even notices that he knows this girl. Oh, um, wow. This is the only route where she's recruitable, but you can meet her in any route But this is because you don't have Junon in the other ones and she won't join you. Mm. Um, but if the conversation plays through where he's like, explains to her like, yeah, no, I'm... I'm I'm sorry I killed your parents and I burnt down your city and I ruined your life. Um, I've made it my life's goal to spend the rest of my life trying to repent for it. And listen, um, I want to prove it to you. So if you join the army and I don't like do the right thing, if I'm still, if you think I'm still an evil guy by the time this war is over, you can go ahead and kill me and get your revenge. Like, so like, please come along. And if you have both of them at the ending, they have a little ending scene together. So mm. Junon's story kind of gets wrapped up. Another interesting note is, uh, this is really weird, because I wish that there was a battle conversation here. One of the gates at Heim, when you go in there, is guarded by a beast, a woman beast tamer. 
she implies that she was also a survivor of Vosk. And you look at her clan, she is Galgastani. And there's some conversations like, why is a Galgastani working for Branton? And she's like, well, he's he's in it with uh, like Falaha and she she didn't care about the Wallster and the Galgastani anymore after what happened. And she's also a beast tamer, just like Arasion, but she has no dialogue with him. So I thought that was weird. But there is a little bit more about that massacre there. Um, yeah. But that's it. That's what I wanted to mention. Okay, sweet. Um, now, we can move into Coda here. I just want to kind of briefly touch on, if, if for those who are following along with the podcast who have not played Coda yet, um, two of them, that would be Coda's three and four, are non-canon scenarios. Um, but if, am I right to say that, that Coda one and two are canon or is that still kind of up for debate? Uh, I think, uh, Coda one, there's nothing about it that would suggest that it isn't canon. I yeah. Mean, like, there's right. nothing that it, it's mostly it two, canon. mostly two I'm thinking of. Coda two, we're not, uh, because the ending of Ogre Battle kind of suggests that Warren dies. But in Coda two, you very specifically, that's called the search for Warren. You know, you go yeah, down. Right. House of the Dead, you meet the uh, King of Brigantis, Dor uh, Roderick, who was uh, Dorgala's arch enemy. Um, there's a whole thing about him, but I, I don't really want to get into it. Um, but yeah, Coda 2, I'm not, it, it probably is canon because it's it's like they it rescued Warren and they went back, but it kind of modifies the ending scene because all of this takes place before the coronation of the ending, which you would get after right. you beat the game. It's right. kind of like retroactive. Yeah. Uh, Coda two. I'm not. Coda three and four are 100 not canon. But if you beat Coda three uh, with all of the Zenobians that you can recruit, including Deneb and Lancelot and all of them, there is a scene that plays out that like they all went back to Zenobia. They have a very cute conversation. But that's not canon. Lancelot. Um, oh, this is something somebody in the Discord made sure that I mentioned. Deneb knows that Lancelot is alive but never tells the Zenobians about it. They go home thinking he's Oh, dead. yeah, that's right. And uh, okay. part of that, I think, is like he's like kind of a, too ashamed to tell them. Kind of, maybe he's hoping that he might recover one day and come back. Yeah, uh, right. But I feel like he is guilt about like what happened to Lancelot is what drives him to go and leave Valeria and go explore Zenobia um, in the ending. Can we talk about the ending before we go into Coda stuff? I think there's um, what, which part of the ending did you want to talk about? I mean, uh, uh, I guess all, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I wanted to just get your guys' impressions on it. Like what, what, what scenes you got, what you liked about it. I have a few notes on it, just in on Dakotas, all four of them just in general, but just a few, I don't have a much, it wouldn't, you know, not, not the codas, but the, the ending of the game before, doing the coda dlc oh that sorry yeah. yeah the the um original version of the ending you would not get every single character that you recruited would not get a scene they had like an order of priority and you get one of them and they wouldn't play like when, when denim says like a friend went to heim and they would show you a scene to the relevant character like if you had nobody else but zapan zapan got a scene if you had hobram hobram had a hobram and ozma have a scene um and they uh they go. They're they're trying to go back to Lotus to reveal what Balzafon and Lancelot have done, and like avenge, you know, Holbrum's father. So they're like an item now. But the other thing about the ending is uh, at the very end you see Lancelot, Tartaros, and Volok returning 
two Lotus. They escape. They're fine. Uh, who knows what's going to happen to them because their entire Oslorian order that was holding up the high priest is exterminated. Um, well, well, isn't it in, um, isn't it in the, not the, okay. So not princess ending and not assassination ending, but the other one, isn't it alluded to there that Lancelot returns with a freaking huge army to like come after Denim and Valeria? Well, they don't name him directly. They say Lotus is coming though. Yeah. Okay, and so they don't Lancelot, say you don't see him after Heim. So you assume he's alive. So yeah. In this scene, he, it's very explicit. Like he returns. But the, the note I wanted to make is if you don't recruit Ozma, you never kill Ozma. So in the law route, you fail to recruit her, but she's still alive in the Warren report. You get a scene of uh, what happens to her when they go back. And, uh, Basically, yeah, Balthafon is the one who did that to Lancelot Hamilton. Because you mm. see her in a wheelchair, she's unresponsive, she just goes dot, 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 and he is being really creepy, like, oh, you're, you look so pretty today, we're just going to get you home and we're going to get married. And it's like, what did you do to this woman? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what did you do I, to Lancelot? He's I can see that, that coffee is pinged here. I want to see what, he, what he's wanting to contribute. Ivan beat me to it on the wheelchair scene. That thing is really messed up. But there was actually one other world building note from like five minutes ago on Roderick. Uh, if we get to that point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We definitely will. Uh, okay. Okay. Um, anything else, Ivan, you wanted to bring up uh, in the endings? Um, oh, Ravnus and Canopus have an interesting relationship. This is the only mm. time you really see them interact when Ravnus is ending. Uh, if Canopus and her are both alive, you get a scene with them. They're trying to like adjust and find her role in the new Valeria. And she kind of like leans on Canopus for support of all people. Yeah. It's pretty um, interesting. <laughs> uh, but it's, 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 I was surprised when I, when I played this version, because it was such a long ending because I had recruited everyone. One character we didn't talk about was Azelstan. Oh, I, I should mention him. Yeah. The he's the, the pirate guy, right? Yeah. That um, he, he's in that town and Denim sort of comes across him and he's, he's like gambling or something like that. And people think he's cheating. Yeah. He's very difficult to rescue and he has a very complicated recruitment process. So I don't blame you for not recruiting him, but uh, it's a very, like he talks about how the Port Omish is getting filled up with all the war orphans that are, because it's like that part of the, you don't go to that part of uh, Laria generally. That was added in the PSP version. Like, none of the war happens in that little chain of islands. So, like, a lot of refugees are going over there, and it's filled up with, like, all these children without any parents because they all died in the war. And uh, they keep swarming around Azelstan, who has, like, a little, a little mute girl that like, follows him around. And when you meet him a second time to actually recruit him, uh, gets killed by a crossbow by some guy at the end and for no reason, um, which is, like, terrible. Uh, yeah. it's just, it just, uh, then if you get to the ending, uh, and you recruit Azelstan, turns out he had cancer and he dies, but, um, mm. it's, uh, it's an interesting context for what happens, you know, to people who are not able to join our party, like children in this war who, who have not really gotten any attention. Right. Um, it's like, and a lot of them are blaming denim for it also. Like, people in Fort Omish are like, oh, are you the guy who's bringing all the kids here? Are you responsible for all this? And I'm like, what, me? <laughs> yeah, right. I did it? <laughs> yeah, I, I do remember that scene. It was, 
Yeah, pretty good. I, I don't know. I, I didn't like take any notes on these ending scenes with the different characters, uh, anything specific. I, I did think that uh, it was a nice touch to have them. Um, and like you're saying, if the fact that you can see a lot more of them in this version versus older versions where um, you wouldn't necessarily see every ending for every recruited character you got, they would have priority, right? So I think that's a nice touch for them to sort of like add it into this version so you can kind of get a little bit of a bow wrapped on each of those scenarios. Um, well, by the way, with Junon and Asion, she forgives them at the end. She gives them a little kiss, kiss on the cheek. Uh, she yep. doesn't kill him. Yep. Um, anything uh, else before we start codas? Oh, um, uh, right. And Olivia follows Denim to, uh, Zenobia as well. I was a little disappointed also that Sestina, Seria, and, uh, Sherry don't actually have a scene in the ending. Um, and the, uh, Seria uh, and Sestina only show up in the bad ending if you have both of them. Uh, despite how, like, important these characters are, they don't really get any attention in the ending. Anyway, we can move on. That's, okay. that's what I have to say. Okay, so um, let me just do a quick wrap-up on each of the codas. So, like we're saying, it's three and four are certainly not canon. Two is debatable. One is just a very short scenario where uh, Canopus's sister had followed him. She's a, a, a winged, um, whatever they call that race, as well. Um, winged. Yeah, just, just the winged, I guess. So... She had tried to follow him uh, to Valeria. Um, and you come across, like, in a town square, basically. She's there, uh, like, singing. She's a singer. She's a beautiful voice. And well, before that, though, they get in a brawl. There's, like, this big, like, fight. Yeah. I, I thought it was hilarious, actually. I thought it was so funny, the way that that all started. And um, You keep getting a dialogue choice. Like, do we want or we keep fighting? Yeah, and then you can just keep going. It's hilarious, though. It's really funny. Proceed, Mike. Anyways, well, that that th that comes right after because they're talking about oh. how it's so rare to find a winged, like a female winged, and oh, Gildas is explaining Canopus's sister as being one that he knows. And when Canopus shows up, he's like, "Wait, that is her. That's that's uh, Uria," and and goes up, and this is where a big fight happens, and she ends up leaving. Um, uh, then you sort of pursue her. You find out she was actually um, possessed by this sort of like sorceress creature called a witcher, which is a W-I-C-C-E. Oh, right. Yeah. And her name is Sirena, which is obviously a reference to a siren, right? The yes, right. Sirene. Creepy... Yes. Oh, Sirene. Sirena? That's Come on. <laughs> Sirene. Okay, gotcha. And um, the sirens would sing a song and lure people and eat them. Yeah. Um, so some pirates had attacked Yuria's ship. Uh, Cyrene had a arrived there and sort of rescued her from the pirates, but in doing so also possessed her body. And so then, uh, Canopus and Denim and everyone go after her. They beat Cyrene and it's revealed, oh no, like, I you killed her? Like, she couldn't help it. This is the type of creature she is, but she had saved me. And so the song that she'd been singing about these two people being one, which had sounded more like a romantic kind of thing in context here was really just these two. Uh, it was the, it was siren and, and her kind of being combined into one soul or whatever. So that's number one. And we'll, we can get more into that in a second. Number two is, uh, the Knights of Zenobia 
want to go back and rescue Warren from behind the chaos gate. He was sealed inside the chaos gate after the f- fight with the uh, final boss. Um, cause Warren had made some kind of prophecy that all five of them would return. I thought this was strange based on what Ivan had said about the end of ogre battle, where it said that Lancelot left and never returned. Um, which you could maybe make the case for why this particular coda isn't canon. But, um, in any case, they end up going in there. Uh, and this is where you come across Roderick, the former King of one of the country, one of the, um, territories of, Valeria during Dorgalua's time, who had made um, an alliance with Dorgalua, but then betrayed that alliance because it was more favorable to Dorgalua. He wanted to rule instead. Roderick did. He was sealed behind this gate. You end up letting him out and then you have to fight him. And, you know, so that's coda number two. Coda number three is a uh, using the wheel to go back and try to undo what happened to Lancelot at Rhyme. So rescue him before he could be... And then break uh, the fourth wall, basically. He's like, oh, I have this game mechanic. Let me use it. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so it's, it's a, oh, this was so horrible what happened to Lancelot. Let's go back and try to change that. And so you get a different ending for Lancelot there where he gets out, you know, not being like, uh, I don't know, maimed or, or kind of in his vegetative state. Um, so he's allowed to go home with everybody else. And then code of four, uh, is where they do the same thing. They use the wheel to go back in time and try to undo the entire, uh, ransacking and, and slaughter at Goliath. The whole thing that started this whole game where the Knights came in and, and captured a Boon of Prancet and murdered all the people. And, um, you do get a little else. context from that, uh, from like the, why the dark Knights were there. Like, Cause they keep lying about why they were there. And yes. why they burned down the town. Um, right. Coffee Potato had a, on one of his videos, had a funny, like, they just, Balzafon got bored and he said, let's just burn it. Like, why, why even bother looking for this guy? Let's just burn the town and get him. He'll kill, we'll flush him out. Um, so yeah. it was literally no reason why that had to happen. <laughs> just because yeah. one guy got impatient oh. and he's the worst guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, okay, so I'll just do my thoughts real quick on this because I don't have much to say. And then I want to pass it over to uh, Coffee Potato because he's been waiting to ping in here. So um, generally speaking, uh, as far as this is just my personal taste for storytelling, I do not like stories that try to, even in alternate scenarios like these are, which are non-canon, try to undo consequences. Um, I, I, I don't like it when, oh, we're going to use time travel or some other, uh, sort of, uh, ability or some other way to get around, um, a big, horrible thing that happened with a terrible consequence for me, um, that tends to sort of undo the impact or the power that those big moments had. So when you found out that Lancelot was in the condition he was in, that really hit hard, right? Because the permanence of that. And so leaving the game off with him remaining in Valeria forever like that was like really lending itself to the power of this game's message about conflicts and the consequences of them. This is a similar reason to why I like the assassination ending the best as, as it pertains to that, uh, overall sort of message about, um, you know, 
where conflicts lead when you get involved in them and when you double down and you're not ever able to let go and you need to seek vengeance and the cycle that that creates and perpetuates. So seeing those hard consequences to that, I think are very, very important for the story to have its maximum impact. So I think they're fun little scenarios. But I don't love seeing these alternate endings where, oh, Warren actually survives. Oh, we get to save um, Lancelot and he doesn't have to go through that. Th those things um, for me, uh, I, I actually don't like imagining the scenarios where you get the happy ending. I think it takes away a little bit. So that's my feeling on those. Um, and I'm going to pass it on to you guys to talk about what you want to talk about. So let's start uh, with Coffee Potato. Hey, you're supposed to say, well, let's pass the potato. Yeah, let's pass the potato. Pass, <laughs> play hot potato, pass the potato pass the to prize. coffee. <laughs> oh, but, uh, so just a quick note on that one. Um, as far as, uh, so Coda 3, absolutely agree with. On 4, though, uh, they actually mention at the beginning of it that they're not necessarily there to undo stuff as much That's as true, they're yes. there to just get closure and context for what happened in the first place. They're yes. kind of just going back and like just kind of figuring stuff out. Um but, uh, yeah, no, as far as all of those different scenarios go, it's, did anyone ever tell you about the, um, uh, about the, uh, the trio ending or any of that out of curiosity? No. So there's a slight difference, uh, like normally even in, uh, like, even if you end up winning the fight and all of that, uh, uh, Tardy still ends up getting away. Um, if you end up just going with the three that were there in the first place, you can actually uh, basically create a time paradox and steal the thing that he stole in the first place, um, which is why you might see in like, in some stuff for uh, for late game and whatever else, people running around with multiple Brynhildrs. Uh, <laughs> but um, but uh, but yeah, no. As far as all of that, I like I don't know. I always had canoned uh, all of three and four as just one big therapy section for all involved. <laughs> Yeah. It was like, okay, yeah, you know, here's... yeah, pretty much. Um, actually had one, well, two more coda notes. Uh, one technically not a coda note, but earlier when you were talking about the winged folks, um, I don't think anyone mentioned about the whole Flash Gordon aspect of all those guys. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Which Very was... deep cut. <laughs> <laughs> that is the what they based Canopus on, like directly. Oh, yeah. The, the, yeah, uh, yeah. the Farton is prince volton from those <laughs> oh yeah yeah okay yep that makes now sense they didn't get sued it probably just because it was a dead ip who knows yeah. um obscure but uh but there was a really cool uh, world building note that you primarily see in coda uh that i never see it addressed very much as far as roderick goes because he's normally just kind of like a background you know here's a bonus final boss kind of thing but there's an interesting chain going from like from SNES to PSP to the Reborn version, where like in SNES you went in there, you know, it was it was basically like a little mini roguelike uh, kind of th kind of situation. Every now and then, every few floors, like you just had randomized floors there. But every every now and then, you'd run into Roderick, and he'd show to show up and say, "Hey, look, I got this cool move right here. Would you like to teach it to somebody?" And it was some vague description over what kind of move it was and you could instantly deny it and never get the opportunity to uh, actually teach it to somebody which was yeah no the wording on that is so weird you you yeah you want to not learn this skill yes no and it's like wait what what you pick the wrong <laughs> right? option every time yeah it, like, some no, of them were super weird but yeah 
but the thing is though like those particular skills then came back like i like to think that there's just a constant time loop going on because like in snez he had those moves but he never taught it to anybody so he's just there in palace of the dead just like oh crap i got i have all these cool skills i never taught him to anyone psp comes along in that timeline, he mentions that, oh, I taught these, you know, I basically was around a little bit longer. He taught all that stuff to everybody. Suddenly, Reborn comes around, a lot of the basic skills from PSP, like your true strikes, true flights, all of that kind of thing, suddenly accuracy is much higher, and those aren't skills anymore. So, <laughs> I like to think he's coming back and altering the timeline slightly every time. <laughs> that's, that's funny. <laughs> oh, actually, I had a note on um, the uh, Roderick thing as well. Roderick actually, like, is the reason why this whole situation is happening. This is the guy that Dorgalia had to kill in order for to become king. And he was terrible. Yeah, he, he, uh, we never talked about the Apocrypha. It's not really relevant. But basically, there's super powerful magic nukes that if you use this magic, it'll kill everyone around except for the spellcaster. Not actually how it works mechanically in Reborn, but that's how it used to work originally. And the magic is the reason why that like northeastern section of uh, Valeria is like covered in ice year-round. It didn't used to be. It used to be fine. He just unleashed that magic and it forever gave it, put it into an ice age. Uh, that bay that, like, sep like in the northern section of Valeria, that kind of separates Akram territory from everyone else, that didn't used to be there. It used to be land. He used magic to, like, split Valeria almost in half. This is what made Dorgalia so popular and such a, why he became the dynasty king, is he killed that guy. And then he mm. sealed all that magic away and then Denim could unseal it. And so, like, when people talk about, like, Final Fantasy Tactics has a lot of, like, mystical elements right off the bat, and then Tactics Over just kind of springs them on you. Uh, it does, but, like, it has this occultism angle the entire time. If you do all the side quests, <laughs> which, like, I, I don't expect you guys to do, like, right. you realize that, like, no, this is a really magical world where uh, there are magical nukes who are capable of doing nuke-like damage, put a place in nuclear winter forever. Um... And it's just in Valeria, it had all been sealed away by Dorgalua. It was like nobody should ever be able to use this ever. Um, right. that's, that's a similar theme to something like Final Fantasy VI, where it's like magic ruins the world, and the way to make the world awesome is yes. to get rid of all the cool magic. <laughs> and uh, it's a theme that I don't really identify with, but this is, seems to be common in the 90s specifically, and probably, I don't know, a lot of recent I have games one more uh, do it too. So I told you guys to recruit uh, Lindel. You, I don't know if you did it. It doesn't matter. Um, but he comes from a continent where they make guns. And in the... I'm not sure... I don't think the Reborn version has this in the description for his class. But the people in, his, in where he lives don't use any magic and they don't believe in any gods. They, they just make... like They're very technologically based. And, you know, it seems like the world is setting up for like a big magical conflict but then there is these guys who are not involved at all. If all these magic nuke go off and they're standing off to the side, <laughs> there's going to be no more magic. It's just, the world's going to move into modernity. There's, people are going to be shooting each other with guns and not believing in any gods, and it's over. So, <laughs> Isn't that so much better, right? Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I love that because Final Fantasy VI did something similar in the intro where it's like, the gods cause and the magic and the religion cause so much destruction. Now we just have technology and gunpowder, and it's so much better now. I thought it was hilarious. I mean, Monsuno would probably make a game where it all ends up just as terrible, and you know, yeah, somehow he would he would figure that out. Even more pointless, probably, because now nobody believes in God. 
All right. Um, okay. So now that we've gone over everything, I kind of want to wrap up by giving everybody oh. a chance to, you have something, Kason? I mean, I had a few thoughts about Coda. Okay. <laughs> go for it. But in general, I was very confused by the urea, the urea scene. Um, I thought it was okay. So this is it: the siren, Cyrene. He is Harvey Weinstein, and Uria is <laughs> Lindsay Lohan. Uh, well, grooming Uria. You funny. You should mention that she used to be canonically betrothed to Cannabis's best friend Gilbald. If you've right. seen his portrait, that. he's an older man. But this is this is also something. I think this is the. <laughs> The reborn PSP version kind of messes up because they changed their age really? to 18, but the winged are three, have an age like Carapace is 46, but he acts like a teenager because that's how like uh, they're so older. So 18 is like way young. Yeah, for them. I think that's just a mistake. Yeah, <laughs> they should not have changed that because now it comes off like Carapace's best friend is grooming his very, very, very little sister, and it's a mess. Um, they should have aged her up like 36, 30, 40 years old. She can look young. I mean, she that's that that's how it works with Canopus. I don't know why they did that. That was a that's messed up. But um That's funny. Yeah. He, he never changed. Up, thing, but yeah. For her to say, oh, or or actually no no no. Here's a better one. Cyrene is Michael Jackson and Yuria is Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> that's it. Now I hope people get both of those references. Nice so man. Lindsay Lohan is basically the only actress in Hollywood that would defend Harvey Weinstein. And then Macaulay Culkin is the only person who would defend uh, Michael Jackson. Okay, so the idea being that Cyrene just feeds on souls and like kills people and it's a horrible monster. And then Irene or then uh, Yuria is like, she can't help that that's how she is, you know. And I just think it's hilarious. That's just a, that's I, I agree. The, I I yeah. got to the end of that, uh, and I and and her justification of Cyrene was just really weak to me. Like, it was very weak. And she, she saved my life right from away. these pirates who were yeah. going to like have their way with me and kill me. And she saved me from them. But it's like, no, she just did this. She victimized you herself. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and she only kept you around because she thought it was interesting. And then if she killed the soul, the body would die too or something, something like that. Right. Yeah. So I just thought it was funny. But then at the end of Coda one or at the end of, I think maybe even Coda three or four, I can't remember uh, towards the end of the whole thing. You learned that she kind of like learned the secrets of the universe while she was while she was with Cyrene, right? And yeah. she was just like, "Oh, while we were one, I just I learned that like everything can be good and all that stuff." And I'm like, "Dang, you are straight up Macaulay Culkin, but it's all good. Let's keep going." Um, the uh, the rude. So Claire, we see Claire, and she is standing at, like at a church before a rude that is. Rude inverse. It's straight up the rude inverse. Oh, from, right. uh, oh, yeah, Vegas story. story. That's even yeah. Oh yes, I did. I noticed that too. But here in the cutscene, it was pretty cool. Um, and then I thought it was really interesting that Lancelot. And after we kind of like save him and all this stuff, Lancelot is like, "Hey, as a token of thanks, here, here's my dead wife's music box." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like. Thank, thank you. <laughs> he just got bored of carrying oh, it around. Denim's like, um, I really don't have to do this. And Lancelot's <laughs> like, no. I want you to have it. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
that thing has no value to Denim. Denim's, it's just hilarious. It's so funny. Uh, and eventually Lancelot's like, okay, fine. If you don't want it, find me and come give it back to me at Zenobia. I'm like, okay, that's what I'll do. <laughs> <laughs> I was laughing so hard. It was too funny. Oh, man. That's all. That's basically all my notes. I've got the uh, Yuria narrating at the end how she's like, oh, you can never escape war. Run as you might. But she says, nevertheless, I will keep fighting. And um, there was something about that that I, I thought was so interesting because you're using the verb. You're using, you're using fight, but you're fighting to stop the fighting, right? And she even recognizes this is not – you can't escape this because the only way to stop fighting is to fight – against it and um that doesn't work because then you're still fighting right but i thought it was interesting i don't even know if it was intentional or not that she says war just is a cycle that continues uh but at the very end she goes i will never stop fighting and i'm like ah as much as she kind of like sees the problem she's going to perpetuate it because she's thinking about it wrong she's She's still in the mode of, oh, you got to fight. You know, you got to fight to stop the fighting from, from the fight from happening. And all the fights keep happening. You got to fight so that it stops happening. I'm like, ah, I don't know. I don't think so. I, I think she's wrong about that. Um, I mean, I don't but think she, she, did, she at least is seeing the problem. She just doesn't get how to solve it. Yeah. But you got is either, that translated you different? Uh, is yeah, it? I don't I, know. I, I think I think she didn't mean fight as in like we should keep fighting wars to end wars. I I, I understand like, that. I do understand that. But however, I think you still see what I'm trying to say, right? Yeah, she's no, still I know. Using that paradigm, and she's using that wording. word, even though, yeah, it's awkward wording. Yeah, for sure. It's like ironically like bad wording. But um, yes. yeah, she's ironic. That's the word. Fight. Ironic. She's not recruitable in Ogre Battle. You meet her. You need to meet her to um, recruit Canopus. Stop Gilbert. Like, the only reason she like even gets involved, is she doesn't want Canopus and Gilbald to get themselves killed in the war. She's very much trying not to fight and prevent people from fighting when you when she the one time that you actually meet her before that. Like, she definitely doesn't mean it literally, but terrible wording. I got you. I got <laughs> she you. Wants to but others will take her words, and that'll be that. Yeah. All right. That's all I got. Um, Oof. as a final That's note right. on Coda four, I did want to uh, mention, cause coffee potato brought up how this one is, they're not actually undoing what happened. It's just more about closure. I did like that scene at the very end where Denim goes to his father and it's like, I did everything you asked me to do. And he talks about how proud he is of him. That's, that's, that's good. You know, like, I'm sorry, I couldn't save you. So like Denim is getting some personal closure for not having the chance to really either one get vengeance for his father or save him. Um, he actually gets a chance to talk to him and be like, but I still did everything you asked me to do. I liked that. I thought that dialogue was quite good. And even, all three of them, all three, uh, Vice, Denim, and uh, Kashua all kind of break down there. because. And I, I liked that this moment was there because Kashua didn't really care about Prancet at all. Like, she wasn't even sad when right. <laughs> he got taken away. Um, uh, so this was very much a denim denim thought of him as a father and, and even vice, yeah. you know, gets a little teary eyed there. So it shows that vice, at least in this alternate non-canon version of him did <laughs> have some sort of real feeling for denim there. So I kind of like that yeah, too. Yeah. Um, 
but it, no, it, I like it, coffee potato. Think saying uh, talking about this as something like a therapy session, right? Where it's yeah. like they're just kind of reliving it um, and ordering it in their minds to where they yes. know what could have gone differently, but they're still just accepting what happened. You know? Yes, I I, I I thought that that was really great too. I liked it for that reason. So, um, okay, to wrap this up. I wanted to give everyone a chance to say anything that they haven't been able to, or even if you want to bring up some counterpoints to things that Kaysen and I might've said on an earlier episode to sort of further the discussion there. So why don't we start with, um, coffee potato first? Okie dokie. Uh, I just wanted to say last note on, uh, on vice there, just to kind of hammer home the, uh, like the whole him just kind of being a kind of hormonal weirdo through every timeline. Right. Um, his very last, uh, last thing, he attempts to finally make something happen there and just kind of achieves a transcendent state of like blue balls that transcends time and space. <laughs> it's never going to happen. <laughs> like he gets denied even in that scenario. He finally yeah. became the hero. He finally won. They've, oh, that's like, funny. they've undone the past. Still doesn't happen. Just pick another, pick another lane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because they're, they're basically Denim's leaving. Right. And, and so they kind of walk off the screen, I think. And then, uh, Denim says something. So what's, what's next after the coronation, Kashua, a, a wedding and, and vice says something there. And then she's like, um, I think I'll take that into my own hands. Thanks. We'll not talk about that anymore. And yeah, I think you're right. It's kind of, she's just kind of rejecting him again <laughs> maybe yeah, subtly along the lines of like, like oh you should find a husband you know maybe consider me he's like no nah, i'm good <laughs> uh but yeah anything else least sweet um i will say that like as far as the story goes i for years i've been trying to figure out how to describe it to new folks because there's this cycle that happens with this game over and over where new people will come in and like immediately get angry leave angry reviews and then think about it like let it stew for a little bit and then change those reviews a couple months down the line like you can mm. literally see this in the steam reviews <laughs> it's the first time we've had a visual representation um but like i kept kept thinking like every part of the story you can you can sort of parse out a lot of things by just assuming everything is a lie like everybody's using everybody everybody's lying to everyone and a lot of this podcast uh, really uh, addressed a lot of those points that it's kind of interesting to just keep like digging through that ice cream of lies to you know find all the chocolate underneath sure um but uh, uh but yeah i guess just stay curious as far as uh, as far as the story goes there's always something else there's always a reason for every weird random thing that happens um like we, I don't think there was even a, did, did anyone ever mention the whole like Gamp thing in the background? I, Technically I, he I, can end up uh, joining your team and stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I've mentioned that you can yeah, recruit him, but we didn't go talk about him much. I just kind of found it interesting that like, no matter what, like his whole purpose throughout the entire thing has never been one side or the other. The dude just really likes his birds. <laughs> <laughs> like, just I mean, he does like trying to get like um, that. He gives you the little theme of uh, forgiving people instead of going for revenge. Because you kill his birds, or at least he believes that you you might have killed his birds. You might not have. But they die anyway, and he blames you. Um, but, you know, Denim beats him up, and he's like, okay, you want to join? <laughs> yeah. He's yeah, like, all right. Um, I'm over it. But that's how you get yeah, the so best gun. Birds. I mean, that's they're just birds. Yeah, fair enough. You can't get them, like, by the dozen in the woods. So there's that. Um, 
I don't think there was a, there was ever even the whole mention of like uh, even in the post game. There's uh, there's like a whole thing with heaven generals going on that there's just a bunch of people coming down from the sky. Just, oh, actually, no, San Bronza. That's what I was meaning to bring up. As far as the whole magical new oh. thing, I'm surprised that didn't uh, get mentioned. There's just a city that got blown up so hard it's permanently in the sky. Uh, it's just kind of up there. Just a bunch of flying people live there. You know, just normal That's things awesome. that you see every day. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, you and, meet the gods there. There's angels there. Yeah, and what's interesting, uh, the, the uh, Vespula, her name changes a few times, but there's like an old lady that... Um, that Morin sends out, and she, he sends her out to different locations between the different versions, essentially trying to do the opposite of what uh, Nybeth's doing in the uh, in the background the whole time, where her whole thing was just f essentially to discover the whole apocrypha thing, but she actually accidentally discovers immortality. <laughs> yeah, that that was all part of the um, the Coda Two, right, where you're in the tower, um, and she's yeah. like reviving all of these like dead people back to life. And it's like the actual thing Nybeth was trying to accomplish this whole time. Yeah. That, that whole right, system yeah. was asinine in PSP. They really fixed it in this version. <laughs> it's like, he, you gotta go get a person. You gotta let him get knocked out. They gotta become a zombie. Then you gotta go to a specific floor in palace of the dead. Then you gotta use a book on him. Just tear off all the fleshy bits. You don't need those anymore. They're a skeleton. Now bring him to another, to another floor in, in uh, San Bronza, get that, get uh, a bloody fork to go shove in their eye, bring him to floor three. And now they're an angel. And it's like, who's going to figure this out on accident? <laughs> That's crazy, dude. Holy crap. Now you just use the item. Yeah. Way better. But yeah, it's just an endless ocean of random stuff to figure out. So that's why I've loved it for so dang long now. It's like every yeah. random direction you look in, there's just something more to find. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, Ivan, anything you want to add that uh, since you've been gone for a few episodes? Uh, well, once again, I'd like to thank you guys for letting me come on. And I know some people in the comments don't quite like my contributions. So I want to apologize to those people. No, no never apologize to those people. Screw that. No, I'm not going to let you do that. Screw those people. Okay, fair <laughs> All right. But You've been case, dope, I, I and I'm glad I, uh, you were here. We are very I glad. I, I echo Mike, yeah. All right, thank you. Uh, but I, I'm mindful that I don't want to, like, ruin anyone's experience. In any case, um, I hope... I, I, I understand that taking the neutral route might have been a little awkward. You might have liked this game if you want chaos first. And uh, in retrospect, there was... The considerations that I put into why neutral was better first didn't really come up, so it could have been either one. Um, but either way, uh, that was a little awkward. Didn't really work out quite as I wanted it. But 10 episodes is what I planned, and it's exactly how it turned out, so I'm happy for that. And oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> I, I love this game, and I wish... It's been 22 years since we've had an entry in this series. This is one of the big reasons I wanted to part because... You never know who's going to watch this. And I know that like people at Square Enix do pay attention to this stuff. They do gather data on this stuff. I once sent them an email for a remake of Tactics. So we're going to look, look where we are now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it was all thanks to me. But look, I mean, in any case, um, well, I, I love this series. I love everything. The, the world, there's so much going on. They've layered so many things. Like, but Coffee Potato is talking about uh, all the people coming down from heaven. The ogre battle is being set up every time. All these occult, like, magical elements. People say, like, this is so much more grounded than Final Fantasy Tactics. Whereas uh, Final Fantasy, you know, like, that game is focused on 
Ramza's like magical occult quest against the Knights Templar. But like that goes on in Tactic Sogar. It's in the side content. It's the occult stuff is more um, obscure, which is how occult stuff is supposed to be. But I think uh, Matsuno oh, actually said that <laughs> occult right. and obscure are basically the same word. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, like occultism, obscurantism. You know. Um, Oscuro, but, uh, the word oscuro in, in Spanish. And then, yeah, anyways. It's yeah, it's... Monsino made that stuff a little obscure in this game, but it's there, and it's a real force, and it's and it's well set up. I mean, the entire, like, history of Valeria began with magical nukes, and, and that's so far in the past for them now that they don't even care anymore. It doesn't come up in conversations anymore. But it happened, and... Uh, um, Ogre Battle, Ogre Battle 64 is... They've done an amazing job with this series, and it feels like such a waste. But it's not getting more attention. There's just people. Thank God, Tactic Sober keeps getting getting remade, so people can continue rediscovering this game. But the other games in the series are also great. The original Ogre Battle. It might not be worth this podcast. Ogre Battle '64, Knight of Lotus. Uh, Knight of Lotus would be a very short podcast, and Ogre Battle '64 wouldn't be as long as this one either. Uh, excellent games are worth playing. Um, oh. Well, one note I wanted to say, uh, you mentioned the Nephilim, the first time you got to the final boss, um, all in angels, all that stuff. Yeah, totally. Oh, this is straight up Enoch. And even even what you mentioned, that city that got like blasted up into heaven, basically, and it's just there, and then the angels like come back and forth. And yeah, it's in the there's book a of lot Enoch. of like Enoch stuff there. I read the book of Enoch. It's like a city made of diamonds, and he like he takes a, he gets a whole tour of it. Um, but uh Cool. Where was I? Um, oh, you talking about the, the Nephilim. Nephilim. Yes, if you play Knight of Lotus, you'll see how apt your observation was. That was not just a random biblical connection. This actually... There is a fallen angel involved here, and... Uh, nice. This is... Uh, Lancelot Tartaros had uh, a personal encounter with uh, a Nephilim. That's what happens in Knight of Lotus. Uh, not to spoil Ooh. too much about it. But you see how... Um, what might have motivated him to not want to use Brunhilder to open the Chaos Gate, why he might have wanted, preferred to use Kachua and not um, uh. try to mess around with any of the occult stuff, because he wanted to avoid situations like Dorgalia showing up, because he personally has experiences. This is why he is where he is in the world, because very young, he had to deal with some underworld demonic crap, and... Ever since then, he's been like, okay, we no, we have to make sure nobody messes with stuff. We need to ensure that we have the power to stop everyone from ever doing anything like what happened to me ever again. Um, <laughs> worth playing that game. If you love that, I mean, if you were, in, if you found him an intriguing character, it's a good game to check out because, um, and truth be told, it's not actually even revealed that he's Lancelot Tartaros until you get the A ending, like the, until you get the, canonical ending of that game you don't even know that's lancelot tartaros you're playing but um if you get the a plus ending it opens up on the uh beginning of of tactics ogre where he's standing on a horse above a village like he's oh, about uh, to go down uh, that's, that's pretty, the a that's plus crazy. ending that's like the extra extra but that's where he gets his name because he that didn't used to be his name that's his title um those are all games uh uh ogre battle 64 it takes place about at the same time as valeria and so like characters you go to towns there, NPCs will be discussing, like, do you hear about what's going on in Valeria? Or, like, when you get toward the end of Ogre Battle 64, it's after Tactics Like, Valeria 
cannot be allowed to get any more powerful. Our situation here is already really bad. It's like, um, the, the fact that they're occurring concurrently is uh, very interesting. And the whole um, Andorus' background where the, his royal family you actually go to that country and you, you figure out what's going on over there. Like, if, if you were interested in the world building in this game, I highly recommend for everyone to check out this series. And hopefully Great. one day, Square Enix will actually add something to it. So thank you guys for... Uh, this was a very difficult game to cover. I fully understand. There's so much content here. And even now, we, we still have... We could still talk for hours if we wanted to. Oh, yeah, thank you so much for doing this podcast, guys. I, I, I highly, highly appreciate it. This is my favorite thing. Thank you. <laughs> of course. Uh, Kaysen, do you have anything you want to add? Uh, not much other than i i will be thinking about this game for a very long time um and and now that i've seen everything everything okay, now that i've seen all three endings i guess you know all three playthroughs um which is maybe a quarter of the game <laughs> um i i'm actually glad we did the neutral run first and i'm glad we did the assassination ending first because that's the one that i liked the best um and there's some concepts in this game about just kind of the way the world works that I might even be using this game as an example in the future to like highlight some uh, social, like geopolitical stuff that just happens all the time. Um, that is just the way the world works. So um, I can already tell that I'll be thinking about this game for a long time into the future. Yeah. It's going to grow on me. I can already tell. I like yeah. it. That being said, I did like this game. I really did like it, but I can see myself liking it a lot more if I come and revisit it again in the future. Sure. A little bit of a Xenogears effect there where, you know, yeah, your first exactly. time it can feel a little bit rough. You don't really understand a lot of what's going on. Yeah. There's some presentational issues or maybe some things get in the way of you really figuring out what's going on, but then you revisit it and you revisit it and it kind of just gets deeper every time you go back through it. Um, one thing I want to clarify uh, is that I, I, really like this game and I have really liked this game from the beginning as well. I know, and this is just sort of a, this is just sort of a, an issue with me generally, maybe just in the way I express myself sometimes being a little bit more on the serious side. Um, but, uh, you know, some people might've taken some of the maybe harsher criticism towards the beginning as some sort, some sort of indication that I didn't like the game. And, um, that's not the case. I actually have, I, I liked the game from the start. Um, I do think that there are still some things that I need not even repeat at this point that might've helped, um, from a storytelling perspective to give us a little bit more of an understanding of why this character is doing this or that, or, um, made it flow in such a way to where it didn't feel so out of like left field that they were like this. And then all of a sudden like this and, um, and then of course, some of that, we, we talked through it a little bit more and maybe came up with some good reasoning for why that might've happened and maybe we're, we're mistaken. So yeah, it's one of those games where your initial sort of like thoughts on it are not going to be what you'll feel once you've actually tried or given like a really good attempt to consume, um, all three routes and everything that you can in between. Right. Um, yes, yeah. so uh, that's, that's one thing I, I really appreciate about the game. And I think it absolutely accomplished what Matsuno, uh, stated was his sort of intended theme. And that was exploring why 
conflicts occur and how they're resolved, you know, and sort of like examining that um, as, as we take that into some of the real life conflicts that we see throughout our lives, there's a lot going on there that is very true to real life. It, these are very astute observations about those things. And if nothing else, accomplishing that in such a complex weaving narrative that for its time was without question the most ambitious that had ever been attempted in games um, is quite a feat. And so um, this might not be the tightest narrative that Matsuno has done. I really think Vagrant Story is my favorite of his because I think he's really, he had really sort of like mastered uh, the execution and, and sort of the tightening of the bolts of the story and the pacing and all that sort of stuff. Um, but that's a very different type of story than this is. And this one's definitely more difficult to execute than that one. Um, but I, I, I definitely appreciate it and, and respect it a lot. Um, so uh, Coffee Potato has something he wants to say here and then we'll wrap up. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, I got to go handle some stuff. Um, so okay. kind of needed to head out. Sounds good. Oh, thank well you done. for having me. <laughs> uh, it's, it's been awesome. Thank you for having me. Um, I got to, I got to get going. Sounds good, Fine, man. Yeah. And, uh, we'll, we'll put your, uh, your channel in our description so people can come check you out. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Y'all have an awesome one. All right. See you. And yeah, that's going to wrap it up for us too. Thank you, uh, Ivan. Uh, for all the work that you did, sort of getting us ready for this since we hadn't played it before. Um, thanks, everyone, who stuck stuck with us through the end of this. Um, and for everybody who, I, I haven't really talked about this yet, and I'm not going to do it here, but who participated as far as voting on the polls that I put out um, a couple weeks ago, um, that has really clarified some things for me um, as far as like where we want to take the podcast moving forward. Um, not going to announce anything on that side of things today, but, uh, really soon you will get some, uh, of our conclusions on, on what we want to do with that. So, um, look forward to that and, uh, we'll see you again next week. So peace out.